Hello. Welcome to Cafe with Strangers. This is Monica. This is the last episode of the season, and I'm really nervous if you probably can't tell. And I'm really excited because I have a really awesome guest here in front of me. I have mentioned it before, but I don't think I've mentioned it on the audio, but we I did a podcast. Um, it's a film review podcast, and I was guest back in the summer with them, um, with their little group, and it was really, really fun. I was I will talk about that a little bit more later on, um, but I'm going to just let my mouth stop talking and let my guests introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Alexandra Andrade. Um, I go by she, they, just to put that out there as well. I am with the podcast group, The First Ones to Die, where we do, where it's three people of color doing reviews on films, TV shows, and um, just common topics. Um, I am Mexican. I come from Chicago. I grew up there, born and raised. When I was 18, I left. Mm-hmm. I did live in LA and Oregon and Washington is where I'm currently at now. Um, so I've moved around a bit. Um, I'm French generation American. Mm-hmm. My mother comes from Mexico as well as my father. She, she comes from, I always have a hard time saying her state name. Tapalupes? Tapalupes. I was going to ask you how to pronounce it. I actually had her say it to me quite a few times. Yeah. And she's like, a great way to say it is very angry like. I'm like, Tamalupes. And I'm like, Tamalupes. Yeah, Tamalupes. And I'm like, that oddly works and helps me remember instantly. Yeah. Um, I, I was looking at it. I was like, I literally, I don't think I've met anyone specifically from that state. She is from um, Matamores, which is literally at the border of Mexico. It yeah. connects with Brownsville, which actually is where she was born, but she was raised in Mexico. So it's is Brownsville, Brownsville, Brownsville in Texas? Texas? Yeah. So she was born on the U- she U.S. Was born territory, in the US, yeah, territory, but grew up in the Mexico territory because Brownsville huh. Matamoros is like blended lines, yeah. very easily. So I guess I'm curious to know: Did your mom come to the states really, really easily? Yes, her transition to the states was much easier than my father's. Yeah, my father's coming from Sofia Durango. Uh, Durango, sorry. Um, and he, well, he's legal now. <laughs> <laughs> he actually came to the States about seven times during, yeah. through various ways. And he uh, let me know some of those ways. And I was amazed by what he did. One time he actually hopped trains and he saw some people didn't make it because they couldn't catch on to the train yeah. fast enough, which was absolutely heartbreaking when I learned that. Other times it was, you know, through various ways that. Unfortunately, many immigrants have to come through to America. Um, he came about a, quite a, about seven times before he met my mom, and I believe they met when they were in their 20s. Seven times. Yeah. He when was the first time that he tried to come over? Well, he did successfully come over, um, I believe, when he was 13 at the time. And he was actually helping out some family members in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And... From what I recall, uh, if his mother got sick again mm-hmm. or a family member got sick back in Mexico, so he had to come back and help out. That was hard, I bet. Yeah, so he did a lot of jumping forth, basically where he was as needed. Yeah. Um, my mom came to States properly when she was 14, moved to Chicago. Uh, her sister, my aunt, was up the, here as well, and um, she already had, I believe, one daughter when mm-hmm. my sister, when my mom came up and my grandmother had moved up. And in fact, my mom had lived in Mexico alone for about a year or two by herself while everybody was establishing themselves up in Chicago. Damn. Yeah. 
That's crazy. Yeah, so the road to being up here was not as is easy. Yeah. So I try not to take their the challenges they had to face uh, lightly. Yeah. Um, I do use it a lot when somebody pisses me off. Where I'm like, my parents did not do all that for me to back down. <laughs> Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, because I understand. Um, when I was younger, they didn't open so much up, up about it. Mm-hmm. it. Was until I got to be a little bit older. I think I was nineteen, twenty, when my father finally started telling me proper stories. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh damn! I knew you. You went through a lot to get up here, but like, I didn't know about the loss he had saw. Yeah, as well. Um, and with my mom, I knew what her family kind of went through to get her up here as well. But I mm-hmm. didn't know that she had been left alone in Mexico for so long just by herself and everything she kind of went through in Mexico yeah. too. Um, we make jokes about how, about the poverty she lived in. Yeah. Kind of was a way to deal with stuff. And then one day we were properly talking about it and she was explaining stuff. And I was like, that's a lot more than I thought it was. And um, is, is there a story that's popping into your mind right now? Well, Recently, she had come back in March, I want to say, and we were looking up locations in Mexico, and she was like, hey, let's look up where I grew up. And I was like, okay, cool. So we looked it up, and she'd always mentioned how when she grew up, she lived kind of in like what could be best described as a studio space, Mm -hmm. just a square space, but there wasn't any bathroom. The bathroom and showers were outside, shared by the whole little thing by the community um when she showed it to me it's now an office space for like a shipping company and the thing is it's just a long building and she's like yeah that's what it always looked like she's like it was just faked walls put up between those spaces and those were housing of little communities and her my grandmother and her sister all lived in that one space together that's crazy and they sometimes had to share a bed and she's like yeah you had these like bathrooms and i was like oh there's a like one what looks like a tool shed in the background yeah. of the google photo she's like yeah that was originally the bathroom she's like yeah one bathroom one shower you shared it with about five different families and the area where we looked she's like oh look there's my old school and she's like hey there's a wall up around the school yeah. now and she's like we didn't have that safety feature i was like that's scary how did that make you feel listening to your parents count their story or just tell their stories and just well, what do you remember going through your mind? For that one, I was, like I said, we with my mom, we always make jokes about, you know, how she used to live so poorly and everything yeah. and the struggles she faced. But seeing it actually and seeing the actual, like, area of which she grew up, I was mm-hmm. like, wow. So you were just, like, poor, poor. You mm-hmm. were, like, poverty style yeah. going on. Like, this is, it made it more real. Yeah. And it made the jokes feel, like, Aww. A little heavier, being like, I feel weirder joking about this. Yeah, but she, I, I absolutely know she would. She still loves to make these jokes because mm-hmm. it's that you know that dark humor getting you through the day and everything. Um, so it just became a little more real, remembering like, oh yeah, I, I now know. I always knew what they had to do to get up here, but now yeah. knowing more of it, it's like, oh, I really know what they had to do. Now. Yeah, and it became so much more real and so much more like a part of me. Yeah. Too, because it was like something I wasn't willing to forget anymore. Being like, yeah, I remember struggling a lot in my childhood. But like knowing what they struggled with, it made me feel like that's probably one of the reasons I had such strength to go through what I went through. Mm -hmm. Because they had the strength too. Yeah. 
I feel like um, because my parents or my dad has I see I don't know my parents' journey fully. I know my dad came over with his brother at seventeen, but I don't know details. I've never sat to ask. I never, I never realized how traumatic that experience actually could have been. But I I just never sought to ask. Um, where was I going with this? Shit, starting. I had a reason for well, this. If it, I, I never actually like asked them properly. Mm-hmm. They would just like mention it. it. Mention it because my mom has ADHD, like uh, me and my sister. Not as badly as my sister, but worse than me. Mm-hmm. So she would just remember something off the top of her head and yeah. be like, "Oh yeah, when I was growing up in Mexico, I remember this." And I was like, "What? This is a funny story to me." And this yeah. is why I'm like, "Oh, I don't. I won't like belittle what they've been through and yeah. be, like so, take it so seriously anymore yeah. because." It's also what they've been through, and I'm, I'm not going to just, like, change their mood or anything. I laugh at this. Um, my sister's wife w- grew up in Iran, and mm-hmm. she was a little more privileged over there. Mm-hmm. Perfectly fine. They were talking about um, how they would buy school supplies for their mage child mm-hmm. and everything like that. I'm like, that's great. And I was like, hey, yeah, when I was younger, I'm like, I used to house clean with my aunt. And I'm like, my pay was a banana, though. <laughs> and... Her and her parents. I didn't mean to do this to her parents, more so her, because it was yeah. crazy. Went so serious. I was like, yeah, I'm like, sometimes there wasn't enough, so I had to share with my little cousin, and I only got half the banana, yeah. even though I'm the one who worked for it. Yeah. And I'm like, my sister laughed, because she understood the struggle we went. They did not. They were like, oh, God. I'm like, no, it's funny. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm oh, fine. Shit. We survived. We're all good. <laughs> Actually, speaking of that, I used to go house cleaning with my mom all the time. All the time, because that's what my mom mostly did as a... Well, once we moved to Idaho, that's what mostly she would do. I remember going into these people's homes and being like, this is how y'all live? Like more of a curious mindset because I'm like, I'd only been around other Latinos. So like being around these homes that most of them were from white people, I'm like, damn, y'all live nice. I don't think I ever really thought that. I was just, they're like, go clean the tub and then clean all these like spaces they mm-hmm. couldn't really bend down to. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, My other <laughs> job, quote unquote job was also working in a quinceanera shop. My aunt, okay, my aunt okay. would uh, be watching me and she would take me and my younger cousin to all these places. And yeah. once there was a quinceanera shop and I used to um, sweep it mm-hmm. and, you know, take care of stuff and like yeah. be the one to go under the dresses sometimes and yank because they're like, you're small enough, just do it. I was like, yeah. okay. So like I mentioned that and they were just like, oh, you had a job when you were four. And I'm like, oh, it wasn't like a job job. It wasn't but you were working. I was in working. Some, yeah. in some, oh, my God. I just it's realized important. I was totally doing the same thing because my family works in restaurant business. And so sometimes they would give me like, oh, here, here's part of the tips or whatever. Like I literally would just be down there. and like, oh, you guys want me to refill your ice? OK, going down, refilling the ice. Like I was never really it wasn't a job job, but I, they had yeah, working you just did it as a little kid. Yeah, oh, there and there are moments like that. I'll tell stories like that from my from my childhood, um, and they're like, "Alex, it's not okay." And I'm like, "Oh, is it not? Oh, I'm like, oh, it happened." Yeah. Oh shit. All um, right, that was a whole bunch about your parents. I was trying to find like a good way to be like, "What about you?" You said like growing. You mentioned a little bit about yourself, but like growing up in Chicago, how was that? Growing up, I loved growing up in Chicago. Uh, I think Chicago has such a rich mix of culture. Mm-hmm. It is dangerous, and I will say that much. Um, but I did love growing up there. Uh, I recently was just talking to my mom about Chicago and how, like, there's three main, basically, ethnicities in Chicago. There's Mexican, Polish, and Irish. Mm-hmm. 
And it doesn't matter if you're not one or the other, you will become all three. When you really? Yeah. Because I have such a huge attachment to the Irish culture. No way. Growing up there. Yeah. St. Patrick's Day, all their holidays. Such a big deal there. And I'm like, I love, I mean, they, they dyed their whole river green for St. Patrick's Day. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's really cool. And I do miss it. Um, and then Cinco de Mayo is celebrated everywhere in that. Yeah. <laughs> Those holidays are celebrated so much more in Chicago than they are in like Ireland or in Mexico. Yeah. Um, and I really did love growing up there. I grew up in the city, I think up until I was 11 and then my mom moved us to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And that's when I kind of got the realization that I'm different than a lot of people. Okay. So I lived around a lot of Mexicans and Latino mm-hmm. people of color. And then when I moved to suburbs, it was more white people. Mm-hmm. I think I had one other person who was Mexican, Latino in that school and we were like good friends. And then I kind of ended up hanging out with a bunch of Desi people um, Muslims because I didn't have any other brown people around me. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, at least I don't feel like like I'm standing out. Yeah. Which became a big deal when I noticed a lot in like high school when people were always doing stuff and I'm just like, I feel really awkward in pictures now. Okay. And a big part of growing up and why I stopped liking to get my photo taken was because I kept noticing how dark I was in mm-hmm. all the photos. And that still sometimes sticks with me today. Because my closest friends are white. Mm -hmm. Or my closest female friends are white. I think my closest male friends, they're both black. Um, With them, I do notice how dark I am in photos. And sometimes that still, like, gets to me. What goes through your mind when you're in that position? Like, I guess, let's psychologically delve into that. (laughs) Um, Well... Just, just like uh, in a normal day, in Latino culture, there's a lot of colorism. Yeah, and that still has a heavy effect on me because mm-hmm. growing up, I was always so dark compared to a lot of family members. Okay, because especially on my mom's side, they are very light skinned, mm-hmm. and so it was always commented about how dark I was, how dark I could get, how dark I am. Mm. how much darker I am from, you know, this person to this person, how much darker I was than my mother. And then, so it was a heavy effect on me to be like, all right, I'm very dark. I get that. But you know, we're all Latino. And then seeing it with my white friends, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm still extremely dark. Even though I sometimes look in the mirror, I'm like, I look pale. Like I'm pale for me. I'm pale for me. And then I take a photo with them and I'm like, oh no, I'm actually very dark. And I feel kind of conflicted. Okay. Kind of like, I don't know where I'm standing. I don't know if I actually am my version of pale. Yeah. Where I'm like, I'm suddenly uncomfortable because I feel like I'm lightened too much. But then I see these photos and I'm like, oh no, I'm actually very dark. And should I be trying to darken myself so much? Yeah. And it feels like this because I am one of, I am a lighter skinned Latino. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, it, it puts me in this like conflict of like, I don't know where I'm standing. I don't know if I want to become lighter become darker if it's kind of not like kind of upsetting to me that i'm having these thoughts too Mm -hmm. because like well it shouldn't matter i'm not asking you know my darker friends to become darker or lighter for me or this or that and i know it's like none of my friends are ever asking me to do that and i've not met a latino person in my adult life who comments on my skin anymore the lightness and darkness but i do work at a plastic surgery place Mm -hmm. 
as a receptionist, basically. And they have commented on the darkness of my skin. They're like, oh, you have such a lovely glow to you. And I'm like, you mean because I'm brown? And they're like, oh, this will match your complexion. And then I'll have the other person who, she is from Ethiopian, Ethiopia. Um, somebody was giving me cream. They're like, oh, it has a nice tint to it. It'll give you a nice complexion, blah, blah, blah. And then when they walked away, she's like, it's only if you have the complexion of, of the paper. She's like, it's not meant for us. The tint they keep talking about, it's not meant for people like us. And they don't take that into acknowledgement. They're like, oh, you'll get a nice tint. And I'm like, oh. they're like, the tint is that of a, a, a white person. Yeah. So it'll, I did try it and it just made me look pasty. Oh no. Like I had like a white cream <laughs> on my face now. I was like, oh, that can't really rub in either. Oh shit. So it's, it's a weird place to be when I'm looking at photos because memories of like that going on come into my, but younger memories of me when people are telling me, oh, you're too dark. You spend too much time in the sun Yeah, and stuff like that pop up. And it's like, I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. What do you do to help negate those negative feelings? Like, what do you, like, what's your process and, or, and trying, I'm assuming that you're working on not letting that get to you. Yeah. What is, what has your process been like for that? If you have one. Um, I do my best not to compare my color to, to people mm -hmm. and have to keep into mind. It also helps when I go on to like, Latin TikTok or things like that. And I get to see variations of, of Latinos and Latinas. And it helps me not to feel as alone mm -hmm. because then you get to see lighter skin ones and darker skin ones. And it's a reminder that like Latin people really do come in like all various of colors. Yeah. And I never want to be one of those people who are like, oh, you're too light to be Mexican or you're too dark to be, you know, this or that. And it's like, no, I never want to be one of those persons. So reminding myself that there are so many different colors of us, basically, mm -hmm. uh, helps me with those negative thoughts being like, oh, yeah, I'm just one of those that can just go into the color spectrum there. Yeah. Because I do. I made a joke recently on my podcast about how I forget how light I am <laughs> until I'm with, 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 until I'm with Jerome and Jonathan, who yeah. are black men, because I'm at work at a plastic surgery department where it's mainly white women. And then I'm so dark there. And I'm like, Oh, being Mexican. It's like being a chameleon. <laughs> they, thank you. They didn't laugh. I was like, screw you guys. I and, think I remember that. Yeah. I was like, screw you. That was funny. <laughs> I, that was funny. Um, yeah. So it's a lot of that. I'm just reminding myself that I can't compare myself mm -hmm. to like what is thought of being as Mexican because mm -hmm. I had, I had that a lot growing up. My dad's side is very dark and they would be like, Oh, you're getting so light. And my mom's side is so light. Mm -hmm. They were like, you're getting a little dark. Yeah. Um, now it's just, I'm just trying to be happy in the color that I am. Yeah. And being with, and I, it's nice to be with a mixed group yeah. of people, a more diverse group. Because then I feel like less of an on ball. I'm not the darkest one there. I'm not the lightest one there. I'm just there and I'm comfortable. Yeah, I get that. Um, when I recently went to go visit my, um, I recently went to California and my cousin and I, who we've been really close for forever, um, she has a darker complexion than I, which is not hard to, to find with a lot of my family members have a darker complexion than me. And... I look at her and like the way that she was dressed and the way she looked, I was like, oh my God, you look so Mexican. I'm so envious. And she goes to me like, wait, what do you mean though? And then I caught myself and realized what I said. I'm like, huh, 
that probably came off in a way that I didn't intend for it to come off. But I told her, I was like, I am self-conscious of my complexion because I feel like I'm not Mexican enough because I look more like a white person most of the time. And I was telling her, I was like, you know what? I think no matter what I would have looked like, I would have wanted to be the opposite. And because I asked her too, I was like, did you ever wish you were lighter? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I've always wished I was darker. So I'm like, I think no matter where I would have been, no matter how I would have been born, I always would have wanted something completely different. And so it's just a matter of me getting over my own insecurity and be like, you're still Mexican, no matter what, it is what it is. And yeah, it is nice to look at all these people with different backgrounds and a whole bunch of diversities because it's like, yeah, I'm not the only one who's had these feelings and like, I'm not the only one who thinks that I should look more like this or like has gotten self-conscious about X, Y, Z and stuff like that. But yeah. It's also like the same with my hair. Um, I have very textured hair Mm -hmm. compared to both sides of my family. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Mexicans have straighter hair. They have a, cause a lot of Mexicans that I've interacted with have straighter hair than me. Okay. Um, so I've always wanted that. I'm like, my hair's over the place. Like nobody knew how to take care of my hair growing up. Gotcha. And it became one of those things that I was like, nobody just, nobody touches my hair. And it was so, unca- I'm taking care of it now, which yeah. I love that I'm taking care of it now. Um, but in my family, all, all, cause they were all mixed, all had straight hair. And it was always so difficult because nobody's mm. like, oh, you have t- your hair's too frizzy, your hair's too wavy, your hair's too... And I'm like, I just want to brush it. <laughs> I've let my hair go back to its natural... St- I used to dye it so, so much. Yeah. I think I started at the age of 10. Damn. Yeah. I started young and I've dyed it for so long. I was like, I don't even know what the natural state of my hair color yeah. is so much anymore. And I'm like... I don't know what the hair texture is anymore because it's just been fried by yeah. hair color. So I finally let it go back. It's coming back to life. It's much lighter than I thought it was. Yeah. Because I remember growing up with black, black hair, like pitch black hair. But my hair is actually a, a lighter, a lighter shade of black than I thought it was. To me, it looks like a really dark brown color. It is. It actually is. And I yeah. kind of like it. Um it's so funny because in the summertime, me and my sister notice this. Our hair doesn't lighten to brown. It almost has a red shimmer to it. Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, what? what is that? Yeah. Why no. Oh, my red? God. My brother, one time I was like messing with his hair and like I saw a bunch of red, like legit red hair. And mm-hmm. I was like, where the hell is this coming from? We have no idea. We're but like, there are red. some Latinos that have legit red hair. Yeah, we notice every summer we're like, our hair doesn't turn like a brown. It's a, that's just straight copper. This is red. Yeah. And we were always so confused by it. We're like, why is it red? I wonder what kind of jeans. Yeah. Actually, um, what is it? I recently saw on TikTok. They're like, if you have this tile of like um, pinky toe, uh, you, you have Irish in you. I'm and sorry. It's, a, like, <laughs> it's like, if you have like a pinky toe in a, a certain style, like, I think it's the way it's shortened and the way the nail is. It's common with Irish people. So you have Irish heritage. And me and my sister like to joke, we have 3% Irish in us and it's a very strong Irish. And we're like, Mm -hmm. that's the red hair too. Have you ever done an ancestry thing? Mm -hmm. What did it come up as? Uh, Well, the 3% Irish. uh, We are 65% indigenous and Mexican. Uh, The other parts are just mix of European. A lot of Spaniard and a lot of Italian blood. Hmm. And like the 3% Irish, 3% Scottish type of deal. Well, it's all mixed in there. Yeah. 
Um, and like one percent Ashkenazi too. Huh. I was a little surprising by. I'm. I used to say I used to tell people, "Oh yeah, I'm 100 percent Mexican," and now I'm just like, "Well, that's not really true," because there's something else in there. I mean, and I'm curious to do a DNA test, but I, at the same time, like I don't want to know. I honestly did it because of my hair. Oh, okay. Because my hair texture was far different from my dad's side and my mom's side. They actually had no idea. Like, who the hell's hair is this? So I took it, and uh, we do. I do have like a chunk of Mediterranean in me, yeah. higher than my sister and my mom. Because they both took the test. Mm. So I was like, oh, it's Mediterranean hair. That's what it is. That would make sense. Yeah. I'm like, because it's so textured. I'm, nobody yeah. can figure out why. I'm like, it's probably just that Mediterranean blood that's hanging out in me. Interesting. I would not allow anybody to brush my hair when I was a kid. <laughs> that was like, I'm done. And my mom was like tired by the time I came around. So she was like, fine, whatever. Yeah. Like, we'll leave it be. Do you remember getting like those really, like really slick back tight ponytails? Did you ever get those? For a little bit until I, like when I was very young, because yeah. I stopped letting people touch my hair at such a young age. Yeah. So I only had to deal with that a little bit. That was um, painful. I remember. Oh, God. The trauma. <laughs> I think the thing I hated most, and I still hate it, uh, because in kindergarten, my hair was unruly, mm-hmm. and I used to, I still let it just go. Um, my kindergarten teacher was like, we can't see her face at all. Mm-hmm. She's like, like there's nothing like put a headband on her yeah. hair or something so to wear these headbands that would like pull your no. hair back and i used to hate it i still hate them they were the ones with the teeth in them oh to, like, yeah pull it. isn't it becoming like a trend or in style now Is it again? i don't want that i like, don't know there's ugh. like a lot of 90s early 2000s things that are coming back I've to style that the, i'm like they need to stay the lowrider jeans people keep threatening to bring those back what are the lowrider jeans look the like? ones that were like barely on your hips with the zippers that were like not even existent that no a lot of my insecurities came because that was in style yeah like no thank you those need to stay in the past we don't need those it feels like a threat because they're like oh it's low rider dreams and we were like no 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 you have mid-rise dreams that's stop saying low rider no it's like (laughs) beetlejuice if you call them too many times they'll come well knock on wood that that doesn't happen i know I always seem to forget, and I'm getting better at it, but the coffee, I wanted to mention that. I've been, like, thinking about that since I started. I was like, the coffee place is Manifesto Coffee today. Um, I actually wanted to get a chai, but they didn't have it, so I stuck with coffee. But anyways, mm-hmm. Manifesto Coffee, which, I, which is right up the street. That's the reason I wasn't as late. It's okay. I'm always running late, too. Oh, going back to that ADHD. Yes. Yeah. You, were, you mentioned... Ironically. You mentioned um, if I'm suffering from the Adderall shortage. Mm -hmm. And actually, I mentioned I'm on Vyvanse because Adderall gave me hand tremors. And so we're like, let's try some other things. So I'm on Vyvanse now. Um, So far, I like it. But coming off of it, holy shit, I've never experienced this like I did with the other medications. Like with the other medications, because I've tried Concerta, Adderall, um, generic and non-generic, and then uh, Stratera. But I never felt so, I don't know, I didn't feel good. Is it like heavy? Mm, I I just, um, oh, that was my wrist. Um, (laughs) So I ran out and I was like, no big deal. I've done this before. I just have to work a little extra harder. I was dying. I felt like I was dying that day at work. Um, Everything was just a million times harder 
it was just so loud in my head and I couldn't, like I was getting overstimulated and I was just like, I just did not physically feel well. I was like, I've never felt this bad being off my medication before. And this was like on day two of not having it. So I don't know. And then yesterday I didn't take it because I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Let me not take it. And my mind went shut off. I was an anxious mess. So I don't know what that is. I have to talk to my doctor about that. But yeah, um, yeah um, no Adderall for me. Are you, you're I, I, Adderall. Yeah, I do take Adderall. Um, ironic that you say something about hand tremors because I actually have tremors in my arm uh-huh. and my right hand. Uh, so does my sister. It comes from our dad. So I learned that's a dominant trait. So if you have it, you will pass it down to your children. <laughs> no children for me. Yeah. <laughs> Which we were like, all right. Or we're like, Wait, okay. literally a hand tremor on your right hand? Yeah. Both of Stop. Um, it some days gets really worse during wintertime because of the cold gets into the bones and it kind of hurts. But holy nobody notices shit. Is if you keep your hand Yeah, no. It. Like, I, holy it's, shit. It's actually, you can keep it pretty steady. It's pretty controlled. And the Adderall, once I'm on it, you don't see it at all because it's finally controlled. We always thought because my dad's kind of a heavy drinker. We thought it was because of that. And my sister for a while did drink a lot. And we thought uh-huh. she had it because of that. And I had blood sugar issues mm-hmm. growing up. And we're like, okay, it's just when you get, you know, you get shaky because your blood sugar is low. And then she got clean and I got my sugar under control. And then we're like, no, we still have it. And then we're yeah. like, we think this is just a genetic thing. Um, yeah, her stop too when she takes her Adderall. Um, she does have ADHD much worse than I. Uh, she was 18 and I was 15. Oh, I'm trying to remember. I was like 15. Uh, I think actually she was 19 at the time. She had been suffering from ADHD our, our whole lives yeah. and she never really got the help or treatment for it yeah. because a lot of times in Mexican culture, mental health isn't a thing. It's not real. You just have issues. Um, I came out as depressed when I was 14 mm-hmm. and I did get a lot of family members making jokes about me at my expense. And I'm like, this is really not a time yeah. to make a joke when I'm clearly showing my most vulnerable self. Yeah. I was able to get help and my sister her adhd was getting worse and i could tell and we went to the doctor's office and we were sitting there and the doctor's like oh is there anything else you need to talk about and she's like oh no i'm good i'm like oh no 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 sit down i'm like she has adhd we need to get this under control yeah. i've had enough of it yeah and that's how she ended up getting her medication for the first no time way was because i literally stopped her and i was like no 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 we're not walking past this anymore you were 14 i was like 14 15 at the time yeah. and then how old was she she was 19. Okay. There's like a five, four year difference between us. That's so funny that you had to be like, no, no, no. She has a problem. <laughs> well, because my ADHD was never as bad as her. I was the one who took a control of a lot of stuff. Okay. And I would do that. I'd be like, no, no, no. We're not brushing past. This is what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. And that is still a habit I do today where I'm just like, even though she's married, yeah. <laughs> I'll still be like, no, no, we're talking about this. And then it's like, oh, wait, you have a wife. No, this is her problem. Yeah. <laughs> Yasi like, can deal with it. I'm passing on the responsibility. Yeah, all yours. Actually, I just did that with um, Jerome. He he has a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can pick you up from the airport. He's like, well, if you can, I can always ask my girlfriend. I was like, oh, that's right. You have a girlfriend. I'm like, oh, no, screw that. No, no. You ask her first. I'm like, that's her responsibility I'm the backup now. now. Yeah. I'm like, I'll be the backup. I'm like, no, no. Ask her first. If yeah. she can't, then I will. And he's like, oh. And I'm like, no, no. I don't want to overstep, of course. You know, let her yeah. have it. <laughs> but, um course i'll still help them out but uh then uh actually it wasn't until about four years ago that mm-hmm. i kind of acknowledged my adhd mm-hmm. 
where I was like, I have issues. Yeah. I should really get this checked on. And I went to my psychiatrist and was like, hey, look, I, I think this is a problem. I think I need to start on this medication. She's like, well, you sound like you have a pretty good idea. And she's like, well, and the first time I took um, the proper dosage for me and like the extended release, not the short term mm-hmm. that I would get the extended release. I was like, oh, my God, I feel like I can do things. And I had recently talked to a friend from high school and I was talking about like everything I'm doing nowadays. And she, I'm like, yeah, I don't remember if you remember high school, Alex. And she's like, oh, high school, Alex never took a note. She didn't know how. I was like, yeah, yeah. Now I'm applauded at work for my note taking and <laughs> the descriptions I make for all these medical records and stuff. She's like, yeah, I don't think you owned a pen back then. And I was like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah. What was it like? What ADHD symptoms were kind of popping up that made you want to go? I need to go take this taken look at i need to go get this taken care of um at the time i had been working in an orthopedic department Mm -hmm. i got responsibility of a very important doctor uh and i was giving a bunch more workload Mm -hmm. and i have a little bit of ocd so Mm -hmm. it was very easy to organize but i couldn't focus on one case to another Mm -hmm. and then i kept mixing some stuff up and i'm like okay with medical this can be dangerous Mm -hmm. And I do not want to inhibit anybody's health care. So I was like, I definitely need to get this checked out or at least trying to figure out like maybe some checks or something. Mm-hmm. And then I would have people come talking to me. And then it was that point where like, I hear you and I'm looking at you, but nothing's coming in. And I'm like, I really need help at this point because it was the fact amount of the amount of people coming to talk to me about certain stuff. And I was just staring at them and I'm like, I had to be like, I'm not being disrespectful. I, I am trying, but I'm like, I'm not hearing a word you're saying. I'm like, you need to break it down for me, talk yeah. slow or something. Mm-hmm. Um, which left a lot of people in my office, office understanding, but still frustrated. And they're like, I'll just like write it down for you. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then it felt like weird having to have these people come to me with like notes and stuff and being like, almost being like, well, it's almost like we can't talk to you like an adult. So it's like getting handy these little notes and stuff. And I'm like, I don't like this. They're doing the best they can to like approach me, especially when I'm having these really bad moments. But like at the same time, I'm like, I'm an adult and I should be able to have a face-to-face conversation with other adults about important things Mm -hmm. going on in the office. So that's when I was like, I definitely need to get this taken care of. So you mentioned a little bit about OCD. I want to talk about that because I, it's not officially diagnosed but my doctor, my psychiatrist gave me some affirmation about that I might possibly have OCD because I was on sertraline on a high 200 milligrams or something like that. And then when we were switching off to... I was on that for a while. Yeah. Um, did you ever get nausea if you didn't have it on on a... If you, I would get really bad headaches and nausea for like an hour or two if I didn't have it on a full stomach. Mm, I can't recall. It's yeah. been uh, over a year since I've stopped taking it. Yeah, that was my biggest thing is like it would make me not want to take it because I I literally need to have like a full course meal or else it would give me the biggest headaches. Apparently it works really well with certain medications, but with other medications, it kind of just falls flat. So mm. it might have been the medications you may have been mixing with. Because I, I actually, another fun mental illness I have is bipolar. Mm-hmm. And I... You're just full of neurodivergence. Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) 
I like to say I'm just mixing pot of stuff. I'm like a little <laughs> sprinkle of OCD because the OCD is never as bad. Um, I got rid of my regular antidepressants, anti-anxieties. I am on Lamotrigine. Wait, wouldn't antidepressants not work on you because of bipolar? It was an anti-anxiety, antidepressant. Okay. Something that filtered between both. Okay. And when I got rid of that medication, because it wasn't helping my anti-anxiety, it wasn't helping my anxiety yeah. anymore. Um, they're like, oh, the sertraline doesn't really work unless you have like something else connected with it. So basically you're not, it's not helping you. That's the reason your anxiety keeps getting worse and your OCD keeps getting worse. I'm like, well, fantastic for telling me that. I'm like, <laughs> how about we work on that? Yeah. Um, so I got off sertraline and I am now on, I forget what it is, but it's actually an antipsychotic to help with the anxiety. Okay. They give you a low dosage and it actually helps with like epilepsy and things like that. One of the things I love learning about mental, um, mental illness medications yeah. is what they were originally made for. Yeah. Like Lamotrigine. Wait, isn't that Lamictal? Lamictal? Might be Lamictal. Let me Google that real fast. Honestly, it's the same word. Uh, yeah, it's an antipsychotic. Lamotrin is Lamictal. Bitch, I was on that when I was in high school. Really? Yeah, I was on that I for a little it. bit. I was on that alongside with Sertraline. How that work well, from what I remember, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't the greatest. It yeah, was... they don't really help each other out, apparently. Maybe it is sertraline <laughs> that does help. Maybe I'm, I might be thinking of a different medication. It's I've been on a few. Lamotrigine is the first one that I, I praise. A lot of people are like very weary of it mm-hmm. because there is the Lamotrigine rash. Oh. That if you become unsteady with it, you actually break out in this really bad rash and need to be taken to the hospital. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a risk, but Lamotrigine was the first medication that ever made me feel normal. Gotcha. And a lot of people noticed it because when I was younger, I was a talker because mm-hmm. of the ADHD. Yeah. Um, but then when I fell into depression and a lot of issues, I stopped talking as much. Yeah. And then when I got on Lamotrigine and I, they find my right balance, I started talking again like I used to and they couldn't shut me up. And <laughs> now I do a little podcast with friends because I talk so much. And like it was clear, clearly a difference like to the point like I even don't care if my anxiety doesn't get better or my ADHD. It's the fact that I'm able to express myself again. That mm. was like amazing to me. Yeah. It might be Sertraline that I'm on now, honestly. Yeah. Um, but the reason I mentioned that is because, okay, my brain remembered going back oh, yeah, to the tangent. <laughs> um, so I actually fired my therapist because of this, because I was trying to explain to her that I was like, I think I have some OCD tendencies. And she was like, everyone does that. This is normal. And then I sat on it. I'm like, bro, you tried to convince me I didn't have ADHD and like, look at me now. So there's nothing wrong with firing your therapist. Because um, it'd be like that sometimes. You just don't get along with someone. And I am very happy with the one that I have now. Um, And so anyway, so it was discouraging when my old therapist was like, um, because what my OCD is or that like what we're insinuating it is, it has to do with germs. And so I was like, yeah, I have um, um, a routine when I get into my apartment. I was like, if someone tells me I can't do my routine... I will lose my shit. I will be very uncomfortable. And that's just like to make it very, how do I describe it? I don't think I ever talked about it. But basically when I go up my t- to my apartment, one hand is the dirty hand. The other hand is the clean hand. 
Um, I open the doors with one hand. The other one is meant for my keys in my front door. And if I, someone tells me I cannot use that hand sanitizer that I have right in front in my little hallway thing, um, that's where I will lose my shit. I will lose my shit for me, (laughs) you know? And so, um, but I was, okay. So I was on sertraline for like 200 milligrams and then, um, I was actually on Elabilify as well. I just recently stopped that one. Um, and I told my doctor, I was like, yeah, okay, backtrack. I think it is sertraline that I am on now that I'm thinking about it. I think I am on Is it an orange little tablet? Yes. It's orange. Yeah. It's an orange little. Then I am on sertraline. <laughs> I was thinking of something else completely then. Sorry, go on. Um, okay, backstory. Let me try this. Let me close my eyes so I can focus on this. So 200 milligrams of sertraline. And we were, I was kind of being bad about taking it because, again, if I don't take it on a full stomach, it gives me a headache. So I'm like, it makes me not want to take it. And so we were kind of in transitioning into taking Prozac, which I'm on now, and a low dose of Prozac. Hold on. Let me wait for that siren to go away. I live in front of a fire station. I actually really like that. I actually really like that, too. Okay, back to the story that I've been trying to tell for five minutes now. So early, slow, or not early... Prozac doses, starting off low, and I started to explain to her, I was like, I'm noticing some feelings. Like, um, if I, sitting on this couch, this couch is being sat on by outside clothes, so I cannot sit on this couch and on my chair because it's been touched by outdoor clothes, and then I cannot go into my bed because that is the clean. I was describing something like this to her, and she goes like, well, the dose that you were on previously is a dose that we would use to treat someone with OCD. And so I was like, so you're telling me, you're not telling me, but you're telling me that some OCD tendencies are there. Because I've noticed that I'm not as like, I think about the germs and stuff like that, but it doesn't, I don't have to have the obsession it's isn't there. It's with certain things that it becomes a factor, almost like the germs become a factor with certain things. Yeah. I'm the exact same way. Um, I have, when I come home, I immediately change. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm going out on my balcony, I change into different clothes mm. because those are the clothes I go out on my balcony with before I come back in. Um, I have a habit of nobody ever sits on my bed, mm-hmm. but that's more because another fun thing, insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've created that my bed is only for sleep. Mm-hmm. You don't sit on it unless you're going to sleep. And mm-hmm. I don't like having other people sit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the medication, Sterling? Sur- sur- Sterling. Sterling. Helps with my anxiety. It doesn't help with my OCD. Mm-hmm. Ah, and, yeah. what dose are you on, Sertraline? A low dose. And okay. I think it's like, I think it's only like twenty-five milligrams. Oh yeah, that's low. Yeah, it's only <laughs> help. There, it's only supposed to help with my anxiety. Um, talking to my doctor, I have a medication uh, management doctor. Mm-hmm. I don't see a therapist at least for right now. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm doing okay and didn't feel the need to go to a therapist. Um, but I did want somebody to help me manage my medication just in case. And she'll ask me, she's like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing fine. She's And she's like, do you want to try medication for any of your other issues? Right now, because my bipolar is under control, my ADHD under control, and my anxiety is under control, I'm like, I have such a good dose, I'd rather not mess with mm-hmm. the other issues, like the insomnia or the OCD. Yeah. Like, the OCD is not taking over my life right now, and the insomnia, it does hit me sometimes, but I've learned to kind of counteract those balances. Like, I know there's time marks where I'm like, because I refuse, when I was 14, I had brought this up, doctors, instead of taking the time to look into me or being like, hey, maybe there's an underlying factor, I do have uh, sleep apnea, mm-hmm. like, severely, 
or taking a look, they thought it was a good idea to give 15-year-old Alex a heavy, hard sleeping medication. To which somebody who has sleep apnea, I could have easily died oh, multiple wow. times because I wasn't allowing myself to wake up and breathe again. And I did that for a week and it just made me more depressed, feel crappy. So I am very, very strict on I refuse to ever take sleeping medication. Mm. Even if I have my, my machine on, I refuse. Even like melatonin? Yeah, I refuse. Fair Anything enough. that'll make me feel like I'm falling into a deep sleep. Mm-hmm. I, I just, just because I remember what it felt like. Yeah. And there, but there are some times when I know when I've stayed, what I call the, it's a hallucination marker. If you don't sleep for 72 hours, you actually start hallucinating little things. Yeah. And when I see my first hallucination, I then take the sleeping pills and I go to sleep and reset my brain. It's usually not, it sounds scierier than it is. Okay. That's very scary. It's (laughs) it's usually not as weird or as terrifying as a thing. Yeah. Um, if it was terrifying, I would not do it, but like, I just am so adamant against it. Yeah. This is what I've trained myself for now. Yeah. There was one time I saw just a giant chicken walking down the street. And not like, why did the chicken cross the road? It looked like a big, big chicken. And I was like, yeah, I was like, when I saw the chicken, I was like, all right, all right. I need to go to sleep. All right. I get it. What is the longest you've gone without sleep? Close to 75 hours 76 holy fuck you feel like you're swimming you feel very cloudy you don't you 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 are aware where you are yeah but you're just kind of like you feel like you're in water almost yeah and nothing makes sense i mean and it doesn't help I guess part of me is thinking it doesn't, it helps, but it doesn't help that you're on ADHD medication. That was before I actually was on ADHD medication. Oh, damn. Yeah. Did that it was, get better? It did get better. I, because I've finally found a good medication balance. That's so interesting. Because I have a CPAP machine that helps me sleep at least a little bit during the night. Yeah. And because I have um, all these other things that I've taken now into account. I don't, I rarely hit that hallucination mark anymore. Mm-hmm. Even I'll like maybe have like a night or two where I don't sleep. Mm-hmm. But then I'll get like little naps in, in there and yeah. then it's like it helps reset my brain. It helps calm things down because you can you do serious damage to your body and your yeah. brain. You no, this was back when I think I was living in L.A. at the time. Yeah. So I was like 18, 19. Yeah. And I did it and I was like, this is not. What brought yeah. you actually? Oh, shit. I want to go into tangents so bad. Ah, no, we're talking about mental health. I'm going to stick with mental health. <laughs> if we talk about this, we talk about this. Um. But yeah, anything else on mental health that you want to talk about? We've talked about medication. I guess I'm just, I'm very proud of the progress I've made mm-hmm. because I did a lot of it. My mom did the best she could, mm-hmm. but she didn't know too much either. Mm-hmm. Um, none of my family did. So I did a lot of the progress I did on my own. And now I'm a big advocate for it because of having to do that struggle all by myself, having to pull myself up from these deep, dark depression episodes or doing that insomnia episode where I'm like, I don't want anybody to feel like that. Mm -hmm. So I work really hard when I learn somebody's, you know, going through this. I try to be my best, be like, hey, I'm here. I can help. I can let you, I can tell you these stories. Mm -hmm. 
you know, sometimes people are like, hey, maybe you should keep those type of things to yourself. People might think you're crazy or this or that. And I'm like, well, no. I'm like, that's the whole point of telling these stories. Because if my mom has been like, you sometimes say a little too much on your podcast. And I'm like, well, yeah, because if it's just one person hears it and they're like, oh, hey, I go through that. That's not that weird then. That's not that bad. They're like, they don't feel so alone. And that was a big thing with what I was growing up with and trying to take care of my mental health was that I was a lot alone because nobody shared these stories. Nobody talked about them. When I brought up that I was on antidepressants in high school, all my friends were trying very hard to be nice to me, but you can just see how weary they were. They were like, oh no, you're on medication. I was like, it's not a shameful thing. Yeah. It's necessary. My brain doesn't function the way others. So sometimes it needs a little help and that's okay. Yeah. Were you... I was like the one in high school that was in mental health treatment and no one else was really in it or they were like too, it was too taboo. And I remember how that felt and I remember it was really weird and I, I felt that's back when like crazy made was such a negative thing. Like I felt crazy for wanting to do these things for seeking out mental health treatment because you mentioned 14, 15 years old. Like I started my mental health journey pretty much around that time period. And so I just realized have you been with the mental health professional on and off or like continuously since then? Yeah, I have been on and off. Um, I did not, being younger, the therapists or counselors I went to, they left such a bad taste in my mouth mm. because at that time the counselors or the therapists I went to a lot were like, oh, you're just, you're just young. You don't understand. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're just young. You're just feeling a little sad. And it was like, no, I know what I'm feeling. This isn't just sadness. This yeah. isn't just normal, like, where day-to-day high school issues. Mm-hmm. And so it did leave a bad taste in my mouth where I stopped going to therapists, stopped going to counselors for quite some time. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was up back in Washington that I was like, hey, I'm struggling. There's a lot. And I think I need to see somebody. And I went to somebody. And she did help me out a lot. She worked through some issues. And I was like, okay. She's like, it's okay for, I used, I used to be such a, I still sometimes am a control freak, but she's like, it's okay for things to be out of your control and your power. Yeah. And she's like, it doesn't mean you failed. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you let people down. She's like, it just means it is what it is. And you have to start accepting that. Yeah. Which sometimes I do. I take, you know, something my family has done and I hold it as it's my own personal thing when it's not, it's theirs. Mm-hmm. And I have to stop taking all that on me because I can't control what they do. Mm-hmm. So many questions. Um, what do you feel comfortable sharing about like, what was that moment that you hit that were like, you were like, I need to go see someone when you were back up here in Washington. Um, yeah, I was actually feeling suicidal again mm-hmm. and it was getting to such a strong point where it was, Hard to block out those thoughts. Was it suicidal ideations or was it suicidal? It was suicidal. Okay. I had been suicidal previously. And when I was 14, 15, uh, I did try to take my life. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I was not able to. And that's actually when I went to my mom for help being like, hey, look, there's an issue. Mm-hmm. I really need to get taken care of now. Um, and then when I got older, the ideations were always kind of still there. Mm-hmm. They always linger. Um Sometimes I do make too dark of jokes and I get that and I do apologize to anybody around me and they're like, oh, like, and I'm like, yeah, okay, sorry, that went too far. Um, but it was when I was thinking about it again to like proper thoughts and making plans and thinking like, oh, if this 
happens and like I can leave this behind and this behind. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a setup, like I was getting prepared. Yeah. And when I noticed I was doing that again, I was, you know, thinking about like at the time I had my cat Snowball, I was like, oh, she could probably go live with my mom and this is how they would get her to her. I started having those thoughts and I was like, this is, I, I think I need somebody. Yeah. yeah. So it was around that time where I just, you, I don't think it was anything particularly too stressful in my mm-hmm. life or anything too going on. It was just noticing the sudden preparation I was doing again and the sudden thoughts I was having and yeah. the way I would not I started closing myself off from my friends again. And I was like, yeah, I remember this pattern. I remember what happened last time. And yeah. I'd rather it not happen again. Yeah. So. I um I do want to talk a little bit. I feel like I've mentioned or it's been mentioned various times. Um, suicide, suicidal ideations. And like, I want, again, another thing that I want to do with this podcast is normalize a lot of topics that were never normalized that really should be. And um in the episode I'm just going to release with Gabby, I do mention a little bit about um, how I don't consider it a suicide attempt, but professionals do. So I just leave it at that. Um, I, I want to talk about that because, holy shit, how many of us have actually had these moments and how many of us, you know, unfortunately completed suicide, you know? Yeah. And so um, I was, I used to self-harm and by self-harm, it, at that point when I was younger, it was 15 years old that's when I started to um to cut um trigger warning (laughs) um and I remember this one time it was a stupid argument it was a stupid fight with a family member and I remember feeling super overwhelmed and overstimulated and I just felt like I needed to shut off my brain and instead of stop harming myself that way I decided to basically I, I did something and I was like oh, I regret this. And I told my sister and I was like, I need to go to the hospital. Um, Cause I realized what I was doing. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I wanted to hurt myself, but this isn't what I was thinking of wanting to do. And um, that is the first and only time I've ever been in an ambulance. And I remember I was 16 years old. I was a couple of weeks away from turning 17 and um I went to the hospital. So I'm also in the medical field. I'm like, oh, we got a lot of animals that come in that eat shit they're not supposed to. So we give them activated charcoal all the time. And the way that I describe sometimes to people, because they ask, us like, I wonder what this is like. I'm like, it's very gritty. It's like, like gritty. And no one has ever asked me, but I'm like, I only know what it's like because I've had to take it before, you know? And um, I remember a social worker or someone came into the room and they're like, so we want to get you some help and like, I think it'd be really good for you to go to an inpatient treatment. And the way that she worded it, I'm like, sure. Okay. I'm down. And, um, no, I went to inpatient treatment for like 10 days. And I remember that was like one of the first times that I had a really bad panic attack because I realized where I was. I'm like, I'm not getting out of here. There's no way for me to leave here. My parents cannot do anything. I'd have to get through this. And then I'm like, I have to do what they say. I have to follow with this. And that's when the first time that I kind of had a moment, kind of felt like a movie. I'm like, oh, you're in here for that? I was like, oh, you're in here for that? I'm like, I felt really normal in a sense. Yeah. Being around so many people. There was um, eating disorders. There were psychotic um, 
um, disorders there. Um, there was like 12 year old little kid I remember and I broke my heart. I was like, oh my God. I was like, and he'd been there for a month. And I was like, and I just thought of him as my brother because he was my brother's age at that time. And I was like, yeah. oh my God. And I, and um, that was, that was a weird moment. That was a weird moment in time. But I do remember getting out and feeling a lot happier. And that's when I remember they diagnosed me with major depressive disorder. Um, but it was not like, Again, I don't consider it a self, uh, like a suicide attempt because I didn't, my end goal was not to ultimately die, but professionals see it that way. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to argue with that. That's how you guys see it. Then, you know, it is what it is. And yeah, I'm talking about this very casually, but I've also had like, this was 16 also, years old. Yeah, it's been a real, it's been a long time. So I, I'm like. I totally get that. And um, I think some people get uncomfortable because you talk about it so casually, but it's like, you're talking about like, oh yeah, this is like my history. This is part of who I am. And it's funny because um, I, they did recommend an inpatient thing for me mm-hmm. for three months actually. Mm-hmm. And my mom's like, do you want to go? And I actually said, no, mm-hmm. a big thing with my mom is, is if you say she, she I, one thing I can say my mom did right. Raising mm-hmm. me is she made sure if I was uncomfortable in a situation, she would get me out of there. Yeah. If I said no, she was like, all right, you said no. Mm-hmm. That was it. She never tried to push that boundary. And to this day, it's still something that I keep in mind. It's like, I don't have to stay in an uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. Never forced it as a child. Don't have to do it now as an adult to be polite or anything. My mom has always that. raised me. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> you want to leave? Leave. She's like, do not stay. Yeah. And so I keep that in, in mind now still to this day. Um, but like Mexican party is when you're having forced to say hi and bye to Anton. Oh Nichols. yeah, she's like I'm like alright, I'm going. She's like alright, we gotta say goodbye. I'm like alright, you say goodbye. I'm not moving. Goodbye. Um, but they had offered me uh, inpatient, and I was like, no, I don't feel comfortable. But sometimes, as I got older, and going through what I did, because my family didn't understand, my friends didn't understand, and I felt completely alone in my mental health journey, I wish I had gone. Sometimes I wish I had gone. I felt like maybe it would have been easier. Maybe there would have been people who understood me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would have gotten the help that I received now back when I was younger. And that mm-hmm. could have changed so much for me. Um, and it was actually that I was telling my sister that story. Because we both worked at Seattle Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. She saw a lot of mental health children. And there was one day she was telling me about this kid. She's like, oh, yeah, they came in. They're going to go into treatment for seven weeks. And she's like, it's really sad. But, like, the kid's going to be Okay. Because they were almost happy at the end. Like, because they know they were going to finally get help. Yeah. And I'm like, that broke my heart. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, they wanted me to go in treatment for, like, three months. She's like, three months? She's like, the average is usually 12 weeks. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I wasn't good. <laughs> Things weren't okay. And it almost took her in that moment, like, 10 years later for her to be like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. this was really bad for you, huh? You and your sibling, you and your sister have talked about that time period in your life a little bit. Here and there. Okay. Because I have not talked about this with my sister. And that's something that I want to ask her because as an angsty little teenager, and I didn't get to see them for those 10 days, which I honestly think the reason I got out so early was because I realized I'm like, I just have to kind of play the part. And I wanted to get out of there so badly that towards the end, yeah, I was better. But I also was like, I probably should have stayed longer than 10 days, to be honest. Like, 
I feel like they could have figured out so much more about me. But again, I did not want to be there at all. Yeah. Um, but I was going with that somewhere. Oh yeah. Me and my sister, um, I I want to ask her because as an angsty little teenager, from my perspective, it just seemed like it wasn't that big of a deal to my family. But as an adult now, I realize like your kids spent 10 days in an inpatient treatment because of something they did where they could have like damaged their body in one way or another. Yeah. Like that's got to be detrimental. That's got to be like, that's got to hurt. <laughs> with, with my sister, we have talked about it. It, it. I can tell it's hard for her mm-hmm. because she was going through her own thing. I don't ever blame her and be like, oh yeah, you should have been there for me or blah, blah, blah. We were both going through a lot of stuff mm-hmm. from past trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think it upsets her that she never saw any of the signs, that she couldn't be there for me. And it's almost vice versa for me, too, because I was like, well, I couldn't help you through everything. All I could do was help take care of you mm-hmm. with the aftermath. Yeah. And in the end, that's what it was. Well, all we could do was take care of each other in the aftermath and be there for each other. And it did make us a little codependent with each other. Okay. And it's not until she finally you know, found somebody she was willing to open up with as much as she was willing to open up with me. So mm-hmm. she trusted as much. And yeah, we haven't, we haven't talked too much about it, but we've talked just a little bit. I think just moments, it's the same thing. It's moments when I say like, oh yeah, this is, I've been through that too. Mm-hmm. That she realizes like, oh shit, I could have genuinely lost you back then in so many more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Um, because recently, not recently, recently, but recently they like found out like, oh yeah, I was doing a lot of drugs and drinking Mm -hmm. and dangerous stuff back at that age. And they're like, well, why didn't we ever know? I'm like, well, my sister was doing the same thing, but she was more outwardly showing it. Mm -hmm. So people were more concerned about her. And here was I looking, oh, you were so quiet. I'm like, yeah, I was kind of (laughs) drunk usually. (laughs) You're like, oh yeah, you never caused you trouble. Yeah, I was probably stoned a little bit. Like the, me just sitting on the couch staring into nothing should have been a good sign. Yeah, something wasn't okay. But like, here was an outwardly active person like showing their um, issue, and that's what you take focus on. Yeah. And like before, I used to upset me, and I used to be like, well, nobody noticed. Well, it's like, well, yeah, because I wasn't showing. I was doing exactly what I was making sure. Nobody noticed. Yeah. So I couldn't be too upset with them not noticing. Yeah. And that it took me a minute to learn that too. Like I hit it so well. And then when I was like, well, why didn't you guys ever notice? Like I literally tempted to hide it and I did for so long. Yeah. And now that I tell them the truth, they're like, they get upset because they didn't notice. I'm like, no, no, no. You weren't supposed to notice. That was the whole point. That was the whole point. <laughs> you weren't supposed to notice Yeah. anything I was going through. Yeah. I'm like, I'm telling you now because I'm finally comfortable with everything that happened in my life being like, it didn't, I always thought this is destroying me. This is something that's tearing me apart. But in the end, it didn't destroy me. It made me who I am today. And it's taken a long road, but I'm very proud of who I am today. Mm -hmm. I'm very proud in the mental health journey I went through. Um, The colorism that I'm overcoming still. Mm -hmm. The, you know, past things, the racism I've had to deal with. I'm like, I find myself as a strong individual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes if I got to share these stories of like a really dark time in my life, just to make sure somebody else doesn't feel alone. I'm like, I'm happy to do that. It's not a stain on who I am. It's yeah. not a smudge of like on my history or like, oh, I can't believe she said that. And like, no, it is who I am. 
and I will not be ashamed for it. Lightly clapping. Lightly clapping, but that's meant for a, a round of applause. Just multiply that by 100. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I want to talk a little bit. You mentioned drugs and alcohol. I've had my fair share of basically abusing alcohol that I've come to realize ADHD had a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Stimulation. Yeah. <laughs> I've come to realize how, why I did some of the things and I just was either very understimulated or overstimulated. Um, so is there anything about like your past with drugs and history that you would like want to talk about or mention? I didn't think about that when, uh, when it came to ADHD until, you know, as I got older, uh, I used to drink a lot during school hours because it was that stimulation. And I felt like, all right, I'm sitting in class now. I can sit still. Yeah. And it's because I was so understimulated and like felt like antsy and stuff. The mm-hmm. alcohol like helped me calm those, mm-hmm. calm those things. Be like, yeah, everything's fine. I'm chill. Like, yeah. I'm able to calm down. Do you still drink by chance? Very little. Mm-hmm. I do still drink. Uh, I was actually making jokes. I got drunk last weekend. <laughs> And my God, my head the next day was like, oh, I can't do it like I used to. Yeah. <laughs> I used to spend days drunk and be fun. Like now I had a few drinks and like a shot or two and then I'm like done. I, I used to, because I stopped drinking two years ago. And I remember once I turned 23, shortly after that, I was like, just, it's not the same. My body cannot handle it. Oh, yeah. It just, something happened and like, I cannot handle it. The hangovers last like twice as long and. I don't miss that now. I don't miss that. And I just drank. And like, I drank water at a friend's house. I sat there for a while. I sobered up. I was able to drive home and like make food when I got home. So like, I was already sober by the time I went to bed. But then the next morning, I still had that like horrible headache. And I was like, wait, I sobered up. I was like, fine. Yeah. I did my nightly routine. I brushed my teeth. (laughs) I'm like, but the moment I woke up, I was like, oh, man. That's not that's staying with me. Alcohol, man, alcohol. Um, and do you smoke weed? I do smoke weed. Okay, me too. It's great. It's fucking great. Do you? That's one of the things that I realized afterwards. How with weed sometimes, how um, how really neurodivergent I was because it doesn't. I don't like. I'm not masking. I'm not like uh, suppressing my normal. You know fidgety stuff or whatever and stuff like that and that's one of the things that i like about weed is like i can be like my goofy little self and like yeah (laughs) i like weed because it calms me down because i am (laughs) what a therapist would say is in a fight or flight stance at all times my body's just but it is because of some of trauma i've experienced i'm already in a fight stance at all times i'm very alert yeah weed allows me not to have to be alert and like I get to Fair. go down like what tw- like twenty degrees of like I'm not so tense. There was one time, me and my sister was getting getting weed, and there was this guy, and I call him Little Harry Potter <laughs> because he, although he had ginger ginger hair, yeah. and he was like very bouncy, and you could tell this man had ADHD. <laughs> We're gonna weed chat. And he was like bouncing around. And he's talking to my sister. He's like, oh, what we do like. My sister's going through all these strains and stuff. And then he looks at me. He's like, what about you? And I'm like, oh, yeah. We just, any type of weed makes me sleepy. Like any type of weed just makes me tired. And he just looks me dead in the eye. And he goes like, oh, you're really stressed. And bounces away. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with that, sir? What am I supposed to say? Wait, are you trying to tell me? What? There is a man that looks like Harry Potter at, a, <laughs> at the Lux shop in uh, Lake City. <laughs> in seattle uh if you are really stressed and really tense i'm naturally very like a ball wound up i feel like my shoulders uh, are always like 
yeah like we will just make you relax yeah depending on like i guess who you are really yeah you relax and you get to be like oh a little bit flowy i relax and my body's like oh we're tired so i get tired no matter what type of week we had a technical difficulty i have no idea what was recorded or not recorded so we're just going to continue off to where we were talking about um Haunted houses in the Midwest. Haunted houses in the Midwest. Yes. How are they fucked up? Continue. (laughs) Um, Well, mentioned how the haunted houses are much different in the Midwest because you have, yeah, there are ones that where these pop up either in old jailhouses Mm -hmm. or, you know, in areas like sanctuariums that, you know, really you shouldn't do that shit in. It feels like a little disrespectful as they got older, but when you were a teenager, when you're younger, it's like fun. Yeah. There was one friends wanted me to go to. I was in the middle of Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, thank you. Because you sign waivers ahead of time. And you actually go in with a big group. Mm-hmm. And you, you get snatched. Oh! You have to be the last one at the end of the haunted house. You have to be... You have Basically, you have to survive. So you go in... I think you had to have a group of like 10 to 6. Yeah. And you individually get snatched while you walk through this haunted house. And if you're the last one, you get like a little like, you're alive, you survive. Of course, your party is given to you at the end. Of yeah. It. But like, yeah, you have to outrun people. You have to not be caught. Sometimes people like come through the walls and grab you and just pull you into like the background. Those are legit haunted houses. Mm-hmm. There are some fucked up ones over there. There's ones that like, oh, I think there's actually a documentary on Netflix that talks about one. And I want to say it is around... Indiana would do some shit like this uh, where you go and you just experience like straight up fear. They can drown you for a little bit. They'll degrade you. They'll humiliate you. They'll do all this horrible stuff. And like, yeah, that's a legit business. That's a legit business. Ooh, bug. Um, and I think it's actually on Netflix. There is a documentary about this, how people go and like they'll waterboard you and shit like that. They'll chase you through a whole field with an actual chainsaw and if you get hurt it's your own fault because you like sign the waivers and all the papers like there's like a way to end the sim stimulation or simulation quote unquote um but that's a legit thing over there can i tell i could never and let me tell you why (laughs) i'm about to embarrass myself this one time i pissed my pants okay and um this is this is my first time at a haunted maze i was 13 years old i was very excited very excited. And there was three of us. One of them decided not to go. She was too scared. I was like, whatever, it's fine. Like me and my other friend were like, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. We go in there. And the first person that we meet is um, Leatherface, Chainsaw Massacre. Dude. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I freeze. And I'm just staring at this thing. And the friend next to me is like, hey, how's it going? My name's mm-hmm. so-and-so. Do you want to be friends? Blah, blah, blah. This, that's how she was handling the situation. I'm holding on to her. I'm staring. I'm terrified. And then next thing I know, turns on the chainsaw. And I'm like, oh, fuck that. So I turn and start booking it. One, running down the, the maze. I trip and fall. Um, and I look up and the guy is coming towards me and I scream. But he literally was just trying to hand me my shoe because my shoe came off. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Thank you. And then, like, you know, it was, I was like, okay, this is fake, whatever. Like, the guy's just going to let yeah. it go. I was fucking terrified. And right up behind us was this father and his, like, seven, eight-year-old daughter. 
Um, I had to hold this man's hand throughout the entire maze because I was terrified. <laughs> and the little daughter was just like, just there. And I was bawling my eyes out and I was like, ah! And I don't know at one point, whether it was right after it happened or when we got out is when I realized that I was so scared that I had pissed my pants. Oh no. And uh, I love haunt. I love Halloween. I love spooky season. But last time I tried to go into a maze, it wasn't even a scary maze. And my anxiety just will not let me. I actually love being scared. <laughs> I won't go to haunted houses because being through what I've been through, I have two reactions. Either it's, uh, yeah, I might, I, I, I square up. And I don't ever want to accidentally hit an actor. Yeah. And that is one of my biggest fears going into that is that I'll square up and react and yeah. be like, I don't want to do that to a poor actor yeah. who's like doing all this to help, you know, bring in the season, all this. Yeah. And I just go and punch them square in the face. Um, or I That's will like funny. just like curl up into a ball. <laughs> like I go possum or fighter. It's yeah. Really, and I don't know which is coming. Yeah. I never, I always refuse to go into those haunted houses that they were allowed to touch you. Mm-hmm. Those ones I always refused because I always thought it was like I don't want some actor like grabbing onto me or touching me or like yeah. anything because those also you you sign those waivers that are like oh yeah you're gonna get bruised you're gonna get hurt you're gonna have these actions you may get cut we're not you know responsible for any of that I'm like what's going on in there that like, you're bruising me so bad yeah. how, how strong is your grip so I always refuse to go to haunted houses yeah. like that and the one I mentioned uh, where they like degrade you and all this stuff. That one's not really a haunted house. That's just some tourist attraction, I would say. Um, it is still very fucked up. And it is not only a play on physical scariness, but like mental scariness. But that is that shit that's going on in the Midwest. It's something else. Midwest is also like some other thing going on. And here <laughs> I am wanting to go to the Midwest willingly. <laughs> Chicago's fine. Stay in Chicago. Chicago's dangerous, but it's like a normal type of dangerous where you can like plan and calculate. Normal is some of the other shit. My dude. I, I don't I think I need to emphasize. I lived in Idaho during pivotal points. Anything is dangerous to me. <laughs> Anything is dangerous to me. So just never yeah. point with your index finger. It can be a sign of aggression. Point with your whole hand. That's a legit thing. Point with like your whole hand. Never point with because a single finger can seem like an aggressive way. I'm glad that I usually don't point then. <laughs> but shit, okay. It's not like it's gonna get you like shot at her. <laughs> no, but it's just but like I, a little thing. Like, yeah, you always just like that way. Like, you use your whole hand to gesture. No idea. Oh yeah. my gosh. It's just little things because, like, unfortunately, Chicago, it's a little like Seattle where you're like, you don't know if this is a good street or not. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you have, you have Third Street downtown. Not the best street. But, like, the streets after it and before it are perfectly normal. Yeah. Or seem perfectly fine. Um, And it's just like that. Sometimes you just go down that wrong I'm not super, like, oblivious to that stuff. Because I did spend time in California and, like, in the Bay Area. So, I'm like, there are some streets that you're a little bit more cautious about and stuff like that. But it's it's the inner, inner Idahoan in me that's just like, oh, there's stuff going on around me that I should be wary of. Oh, shit. Yeah. And then I think also Chicago gets a bad rap. People think it's way more dangerous than it actually is. And it can be. Don't get me wrong. But, like, it's also a place where, like, I grew up and, like, clearly I'm fine. And, like, yeah, shit happened. But, like, people are still raising their children there. Yeah. And they're coming out perfectly normal. Um, 
I do like to- I I grew up right next train tracks though. I mm-hmm. did I did play on those where the freight trains were coming. Yeah. I'm like that wasn't safe. No. That's like a nice childhood memory. Um and things like that where it's like, yeah, they sound dangerous at the time and they yeah. probably were, but it's actually not as dangerous as you think. Yeah. Because you always hear the trains coming. So I don't know if you can hear that, but that ringing is the um there's like a church down the street and it's going off, but it doesn't go off on time. Like it's 12.02. Don't the church bells ring for like multiple minutes? It See, it doesn't make sense the way that it rings. Because sometimes it'll ring like not even an hour later and we're like, it's not even the next hour and it's ringing. Does it ring every hour? I never really understood church bells. I don't, I don't know. I just know that when it does ring, it doesn't make sense. And I'm just like, can you shut up now, please? Because it's getting louder and I'm just like. I don't, uh, yeah, I never, I thought they were supposed to be, like, certain times of day, but then I'm like, they ring for, like, quite a few minutes, don't they? I don't pay attention enough to give that answer. Feels like they have tune, too. I wonder always if somebody's, like, like Quasimodo-ing it (laughs) is the way I can play it. I don't know. Anyways, but finally stopped. Um, Next topic. Ooh, speaking of religion and church, you mentioned a little bit about that. Everyone has a different story, but they're all kind of similar. How was your experience with religion and growing up? (laughs) (laughs) My mom did want us to grow up in the Christian faith. Christian, Catholic, or just Christian? Just Christian, although she did not choose the best one. Um, I understand she wanted more of a sense of community and comfort. However, she tried to raise as Baptist. Mm -hmm. Um, however, it was also the fundamental independent Baptist people. And for those who don't know what that is, that is the Westboro Baptist type of people. Oh no. Yeah. That's what I was raised in. And me and my sister now call it, and even my mom calls it a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm no longer part of that faith mm-hmm. or close to any of Christianity. Uh, I can't speak for my sister. My mom still has her faith, mm-hmm. but we no longer follow those type of Faith based, especially since she has a daughter who's a lesbian, and then me. Also, it's hard to be like, Yeah, I'm true to that faith when you have two queer children. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of restrictions and things like that, and you know, girls wore skirts and things that nature. I did not get along with anybody in the church. Mm-hmm. I was a very inquisitive child, and they don't like inquisitive people. Mm. Uh, so I used to get into a good amount of trouble. <laughs> Because I'd be like, well, why? Well, why? And they were like, you need to stop that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I nobody was really a fan of me in that church. I will say I do miss the church food. Because mm. church basement food is... Dude, that shit's good. It's so good. Everything's fried. and I mean, there was a salad. Ambrosia salad. Have you ever? I've heard of it, but for some reason I can't. A Ooh. lot of people have heard of ambrosia salad. It is literally a salad of whipped cream. <gasps> cherries dude my pineapple. my aunt would make this all the fucking time it's whipped cream it's a bowl of whipped cream with stuff it's fruit and sugar yeah and that's the shit you find in church basements and it's oh, so yeah. good <laughs> and then like oh my god mud cake which was just heavy chocolate cake with oh. pudding in the middle oreo crumbs on top to simulate the mud and then gummy worms oh and somebody always had fried mac and ball cheese. That sounds delicious. So one thing that comes across in my mind. So you're the second person who grew up not Catholic. And um, Alexis, that's something that you know, that um, that he mentioned. is like, yeah, I grew up Pentecostal Christian. 
and being Mexican, Latino, the main culture is Catholic. Did you at any point kind of like realize how different that was for you? Oh yeah, absolutely. My dad's side is very Catholic Mm -hmm. and it's, it's a little funny. Um, my dad's side is very Catholic, very traditional Mexican. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I told them, I'm like, yeah, I don't plan on ever marrying or having kids. They were very supportive of that. They're like, yeah, you do you. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. That's nice. <laughs> I'm prepared for a little more argument on that, but okay. Um, yeah, no, they're very Catholic. So when we spend time with his family, they're like, oh, you guys don't know this. Oh, you guys don't have to do this. And me and my sister would end up having to sit basically on the sidelines while mm-hmm. our whole big majority of our family was just doing, you know, what they were doing with prayers and stuff like that. And we would be like, we're very aware we're not Catholic. Yeah, the majority of the people we are around who are Latin are Catholic. Yeah, um, and you can tell in the Baptist church there was one or two other Mexican people there, and it was like, oh, we're we fit, felt the rare numbers in it, mm-hmm. or at least I felt the rare numbers in it. Um, it was it was a well acknowledged thing because also when I got older, people are like, oh, what church do you go to? I'm like, oh, it's a Baptist church. They're like, you're not Catholic. Mm-hmm. I'm like, not every Mexican is Catholic not a thing yeah but like yeah there's many of us the first time that i realized that not every mexican is catholic is when i moved to idaho i'm like that's when i learned about the mormon religion i'm like the fuck is that mormon religion is very interesting um yeah that's where religious trauma comes from yeah i never every time i learn about something i'm all like that's something new i didn't know about it yeah um but the church I actually went down to, tr- trigger warning again for people, uh, is actually shut down now because the pastor's wife was grooming a couple children uh, and she is now in jail, as far as I know, for also sending naked pictures to those children. Oh my God, she's in jail. Yeah. Goddamn. Yeah, I went to school with her kids too. Oh shit. Yeah, we went to school and church in the same location in Chicago and Jordan back to school. Damn. And now the te- the kindergarten teacher and the pastor's wife, uh, she is in jail for grooming, rape, and all that. Yeah. And me and my sister, again, we'll make jokes due to this fast drop. Yeah. Be like, well, this wasn't the best decision wasn't yeah. for that school. <laughs> Mom's like, ah, I tried. I'm like, well. <laughs> yeah. And then you so, so you say now that you don't practice the religion, what made you get away from it or kind of start developing your own, I'm not this anymore, like, I don't believe in this or I don't believe in that? I, that happened to me very young just mm-hmm. because I was a close girl child. And thankfully, again, one of the things my mom embraced was me learning a lot of stuff. So I just fell out of it very young where I was like, well, if I can't ask these questions then this is not something I want to be a part of. Yeah. And like, I get, I understand faith is important to people and it's something you hold. And it sometimes it's not something that can be answered. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. Um, However, for me, it felt like they just wanted to shut me up Mm -hmm. instead of being like, Oh, your face just needs, they're like, just stop asking questions, stop talking, stop doing that. And I really didn't like that. So I moved further away from it faster than, you know, other family members because Mm -hmm. I was like, I just want to ask my questions. If you can't give me some even like generic answer, mm-hmm. then like this is definitely not for me. And then I would just read more and more about different cultures and different religions and different faith space, even when I was a child and then growing up getting, hanging out with people who were of Muslim faith. I was like, oh yeah, I can understand where a lot of things cross. Mm-hmm. 
and then it's like but it's all different still mm-hmm. so i was like okay but i can see where these overlap in a lot of things where a lot of faith overlaps yeah and i was like okay then to assume that one is correct is kind of just being biased mm-hmm. and i never liked that thought i was like well i can have my faith but i'm like i don't want to be biased and be like yeah it's the one true and you gotta be that way and just with christianity there's such a heavy feel of that yeah like you're either part of it but then if you're not then you're wrong and then there's a whole damnation thing and i'm just like well i don't like that damnation thing and the way certain christians act yeah uh, it goes there's a native american who was hung during uh the colonization time where he's like I don't want to go to heaven because it's filled with people like you. Mm. Like I'd rather go to hell. And I was like, I hold, I hold that a lot. Cause it's like, I've met those people who are mm-hmm. like that. It's like if heaven, if eternity is all this and it is you all, then that's not somewhere I want to be. Mm-hmm. What's your view on how, or what's your stance on religion nowadays? Do you consider yourself a religious person or spiritual? I would not consider myself religious at all. Um, I guess for a lack of a better word, yes, spiritual. Mm-hmm. I hold, I don't really believe in like God or Christ, but I believe that they're, that it's more the universe working together in harmony. Mm-hmm. It's also a little bit manifestation, the energy you put out there and the energy that comes back to you mm-hmm. is something that's a give and take. Mm-hmm. So to have good in your life, you must do good. You must, you know, work hard. But there's always going to be negative points in your life and things like that. doesn't mean you'll get always negative back or you'll always get good back. But there is a balance between energy being sent out and being given. And sometimes we don't realize that. We're like, oh, we're putting so much out into the world. Mm-hmm. Nothing's coming back. But the energy is still the the energy is still coming back to you, just not in the ways you may think. Mm-hmm. So I do believe in like a balance between you and the universe, basically. I like that positivity or that viewpoint. That's very nice. Awesome. Um, There's one thing I want to talk about. So one thing that I also want to kind of discuss are like generational things that we're continuing on and things we're not continuing on. And so traditionally Latinos, we have kids. We get married and we have kids. You already said you don't want to get married. You don't want kids. Um, that's something that I'm pretty much like on the same boat, like for, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like I got my surgery to make sure permanent, like I don't have kids. And I had to deal with the own stigma, the social stigma from my family members. Yeah. How has that been, that journey been for you in your family? And like, just being like, I don't want this and I don't want that. Well, on my dad's side, like I said, they're surprisingly accepting of it. They're like, yeah, you don't want, you don't have, it's okay. Um, my dad, I did get into an argument about mm-hmm. it once. Uh, my sister actually came out to him, and he handled it so much better than we originally thought. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, okay, he's accepting. And he kind of asked me in a way I think he was asking me, like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm, but I changed it like, oh, no, I'm okay with my sister. Like, it's who she is. And then I'm like, hey, she'll still, she still wants kids, so you'll get grandkids out of her still. He's like, yeah, and you. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And that <laughs> actually led into an argument between us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, no, you're not getting grandchildren of me. My mom always thought I was going to have kids mm-hmm. because I used to take care of my cousins so much. Mm-hmm. But I never really wanted them. I never wanted to be a mom. Um, and I actually learned at 25, I would not be able to carry a child to full term mm-hmm. due to an, a hormonal balance that I have. Any pregnancy I would have is a 
95% chance of a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So there's no like genetically child for me. And it actually hit my mom harder than it hit me originally. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I always thought you'd be a mother. I always thought this. Even though you were kind of saying, no, I always thought you'd change your mind. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, no, I never changed my mind. And it hurt knowing that I couldn't. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's like a bubble reality that I yeah. lost. But I was like, at the same time, I was always very firm. I don't want children. I don't want what the crap that we've all passed down from generation to generation to continue. Mm-hmm. So I've had dealt. I have dealt with that, where family members have been like, "Oh, but you remember what they were like when they were little, and you took care of them." I'm like, "Yeah, I do remember what it was like taking care of them when I was a teenager," and I'm like, "And I love that." But then I also love just giving them back to them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I love returning them. I'm like, I had those sweet moments where I got to take care of them, but I'm like, I never thought waking up at like three in the morning was worth it. Mm. They're like, "Oh, it'll change when it's your own." There were points and times in my sister's life where I had to take care of her because mm-hmm. she was, you know, going through that struggle. I was like, I get that. I'm like, I would go through everything with my sister again mm-hmm. immediately without a hesitation. And I get it because she's my own flesh and blood and I would never do that for anybody else. Mm-hmm. But would I ever like openly want to do it again? Absolutely not. Would I want to do this for somebody? No. I took care of a lot of people in my younger years. Mm -hmm. I was the person who was the responsible one. I was the person who was the main caretaker. Like, oh, you know, just leave the babies with Alex. Yeah. As an adult now, I get to be quote unquote selfish. I get to be just for me. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I love not having to take care of somebody else. I love not having somebody else as my responsibility. I'm like, I don't want that. And I think it's more selfish to try to bring a child into that because I want some product of me or some mini version of me or something, you know, something that I can love. Mm-hmm. No. Cause I don't, cause I do have a lot of trauma and I am very fucked up. And I think sometimes they ignore that, that I we've all gone through so much and they're like, Oh, it'll be fine when you have kids. It'd be like, it's not clearly it's not because like we felt it. We had the same generational trauma. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to pass on. Yeah. And sometimes they would like backlash where they're like, You'll change your mind when you're older, blah, blah. Like, I'm 30. I'm 31. This is the this is the older part. Yeah. There is no changing my mind. This is what I'm set on. It's just, yeah, I don't want kids, mainly because I don't want what's gone on to continue on. And even though I've healed a lot from, like, the generations past, I can't guarantee all that stuff wouldn't go still back to them. Yeah. Garbage time? It has to. No, it's a bus. I was like, oh, I, it's, it's, n- it's never felt so fucking loud in here. <laughs> of course it had to be this one. Anyways. Um, so no, no kids. And then no marriage. That's also a different thing. Cause I am, I've come to realize I'm indifferent about it. I don't. Well, I say the no marriage thing to piss people off. Really? I do say that. <laughs> I, I've openly said to, like, friends and my sister and my mom, like, I'm not opposed to it. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to legally tie themselves to me, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, but if I never get married, not a big deal. But to those people who are like, oh, you want to get married? Oh, you need to get married? Oh, you need to have somebody in your life, mm-hmm. you know, to help balance you out? Be like, no, no, I'm definitely not getting married. So yeah. It's more of I say that, but, like, I'm indifferent to it. I don't. It's not something I really want. It's not something I really don't want. Mm-hmm. It's just something that's, like. 
it's kind of like an afterthought with me. Yeah. Um, but I do say I don't want to get married just to piss off the people who are like, you'll change your mind. Be like, no, 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 I'm not getting married. Sometimes I'll be like, you know, just because of that statement, I'm not getting married now. I'm like, you're the reason I'm not getting married. I love that. <laughs> Is there, um, I guess, okay, well, because for me, I mean, I've before I was, there's a lot of things that I thought I wanted. And that's because of the way that I grew up. I thought I wanted kids. I thought I wanted to get married because that's what's expected from yeah. us. And then when I started realizing my own things, I'm like, no, I really don't want kids. And then I'm like, well, do I really want to get married? And it was a hard no for a while. And then I started, I've become indifferent over the past couple of years where now I am indifferent with it. Like if kind of what you said is like, if I get married, I get married, but I'm not going to, I'm not seeking that's not my life goal Yeah, is to get married, you know, and I'm perfectly content being with a partner for the rest of my life and never getting married to this person. Yeah. You know, but the thing that might convince me are the benefits like taxes. Yeah. That might be the one thing that convinces me. Otherwise. They have good health, like life insurance. Oh my God. The life insurance. <laughs> if they're like in a good job in that life insurance, be like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll marry you. I was like, boo. I've even thought about like, um, you know, like queer platonic relationship and stuff like that. I was like, I'd be totally fine, like marrying a best friend. Oh, yeah. So we can have benefits. I, I make this joke because technically I'm the only one in my family. And I still, a lot of my friends are kind of like appalled by this comment. But like, I'm the only one in my family who has never been proposed for a green card marriage. And it upsets <laughs> me. They're like, Alice, it's not like a good, I'm like, I get it. And like, but at the same time, I thought you'd be that. the only one in your family who's not, uh, like, say, I'll marry you for a green card, I'll be like, well, like, I'm. why can't you, like, I could give you get you a green card. I'm U.S. born. I'm the only one in my family who hasn't had that offer. And I'm like, I'm a little offended. You know what? I get that. Because I've literally had that only happen to me once. See? Once. And even then, it wasn't like a straight up proposal kind of thing. I don't know if I mentioned the story, but I was 17, not 18 yet. And I was with this... Um, a friend's friend asked me, hey, how old are you? I'm like, oh, I'm 17. He's like, oh, never mind. I'm like, why? I'm really curious. I was like, why? He's like, oh, you know, my I can't be staying here much longer and basically insinuating like marrying so he can yeah. get his card. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm glad that I, I'm glad I was not 18 because I don't know how I would have answered that. But that was the one and only time that's ever been mentioned but for some reason i, I yeah i get that yeah it's I get that. when you're mexican or latin you you get it you get that joke a lot it, yeah. like and people... i'm just like i'm a little offended like like everybody i've known in my family has had that proposal for them yeah and it's like i have it and i'm like well this is like i wouldn't i would definitely say no because i don't really believe in that and well unless the situation calls for it but like at the same time it's like like it, it, it would be nice to be asked. Yeah, I get that. I completely yeah, get that. It would be nice to be. Asked. A lot of my friends are like appalled. They're like, Alex, that's not a good thing. Or like, they'll do that thing where it's like, oh, I'm like, no, you just don't understand that. Yeah, <laughs> that's where that like ethnicity thing comes into yeah, play. Yeah, where it's yeah. Like, if you're Latin, you're Mexican, <laughs> or something like that, you'll understand. You haven't had family who's like fresh immigration like that or yeah. something like that. And I'm like, it just would be nice to be asked. And then asked. um. It's also extremely, I know, I get that. Anyways, <laughs> what else? Um, anything on the no kids or no marriage part that you want to like bring up, talk about, things that have said, been said to you or just anything that comes to mind? Not really. I think everybody has accepted that I don't want children. Mm -hmm. And when I say I don't want to get married, most of the people understand it's just me being 
taking the shit out of other people. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, you'll change your mind. I'm like, mm, clearly not. Here I am all these years later. Um, One thing I want to go into is I believe you mentioned that you're also queer or consider yourself within the umbrella. Yeah, I am. I'm doing that. Um, let's talk about that journey of yours. How was that for you? Thankfully, it hasn't been too much of a struggle. Good. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, un- I kind of, under- I never came out to anybody. Uh, I actually, I did come out, I think when I was like 16 or 17, mm-hmm. that I, I called myself bi, because mm-hmm. that was the easiest description I could come up with. Um, and my family actually, for my birthday, got me a little rainbow cake. What? And I was like, this is actually sweet. I'm embarrassed because it's happening. But I'm like, this That's is really acceptance. Cute. Yeah. So I was like, I think I was the first one who ever came out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, years later. Although everybody knew with my sister. Yeah. She was she was gay. We all knew that. Um, so hers wasn't that big of a surprise. It was me for that they were like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Eventually, as I got older, I started learning new terms, learning the broader spectrum and things like that. Um I like to call myself queer mm-hmm. instead of trying to put a label on it because for some I appear more asexual. Mm-hmm. Other it's a uh, aromantic. Other times it's like something else that it may seem. I appear really straight to some people because some people I do act more straight. Mm-hmm. Um to other people I act like, "Oh, you're like just a lesbian." And I'm like, "Nope." Nope, there's a whole other thing going on. So I do prefer queer just because I never felt comfortable yet in one particular label. Mm-hmm. And I think queer is a nice way to just express like, yeah, I do. I do like every like other stuff than just male. And yeah. it, when actually it was super funny because when my mom, when my sister got engaged, literally the next morning, my mom and my sister went into the bank, came out and my mom's like, hey, would you date a trans person? And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't bother me. She's like, oh, lovely. So there's this bank teller. They're transitioning. And I was like, hold on. You were in the bank for 20 minutes. How do you know this? They're like, oh, I saw their pain. I knew what it was. And, I, they're, and my mom goes on to tell me about uh, his life. And I was like, you were in the bank for 20 minutes. You just got one daughter engaged. She's like, yeah, and I need to start working on the next one. <laughs> I was like, no, we're not doing this. We're not playing this game. <laughs> um, and it was just so funny. Because I was actually think that's the first time my mom also asked me, like, oh, what type of people would you date? And mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, I'm kind of open to everything. It doesn't bother me. You're yeah. binary or trans yeah. or anything like that. Because it's like, you're still going to be you. Yeah. Um, cause I know even within the queer community, people do are not comfortable dating trans people or not binary people. Um, I just think if you're like chill and funny, like, <laughs> you're willing to deal with my shit. I have no problem with whatever you're calling yourself Yeah, yeah, or whatever you want to be referred to. It's just like, if you're willing to vibe with me on my level, yeah. like, you I are love- who you are. I love that. You mentioned aromantic. Are, do you consider yourself aromantic? Sometimes, like I said, it's hard to like pinpoint for me okay i do fall in that a spectrum i guess is yeah. a way to put it i do have a lower sex drive yeah sex is not that important to me yeah um but it's just like having a lower but like sometimes it's like only if i'm romantically interested in you yeah but other times it's like yeah but you're just kind of hot so like i'm good with that i really want to think about a romantic relationship with you yeah because so. i consider my I, I was actually wondering like i was like i want to bring this up how do i like when do i bring this up because i consider myself part of the aromantic spectrum so i actually want to dig into that a little bit because i don't think i've met someone who falls along anywhere alongside that um for the longest time i felt let me know how you feel about this or how like 
you relate how you don't relate. Um, for the longest time, I thought there was something wrong with me because like um, with my ex-partner, I didn't know, like I was like, this person really loved me and like I love this person, but I, and I felt like the way that I love this person was never enough how this other person showed their love and how, you know, expressed and everything like that. And it always got to me, I'm like, am I not a good person? Do I not really know how to love? Because I was like, I love this person. I just, it took me a while to realize like, I just love differently. And it just takes me a while to get to a point where I'm like, oh, wow, I actually have romantic feelings for someone because I don't recommend to realize I don't, romantic feelings that shit does not it's not on the top of my list like it's sometimes confusing like when i see rom-com movies or something like that i find myself looking at them and being like is this real like do people really fall in love this easily and stuff like I that that too yeah I you know like what happened to the age i'm like i i'll go back into that what happened to the age where you just like dated somebody for a while and then i'm like people like fall in love so quickly all of a sudden you're like introducing to your family i'm like you just met this person yeah like you have a little time frame um, I think for me personally, I have some walls up and I am, I know this, mm-hmm. um, but I also like the thought of getting to know somebody first mm-hmm. because the first couple of dates, you're just nervous. Yeah. You're just nervous. So you don't really meet the person you meet and it's not until like later on and they could have like ADHD where you have, you're masking sometimes and it's not until they release a little bit. You're like, oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, I recently had a conversation with a friend about my, honestly, sexual preferences mm-hmm. and things like that, where, like, it took me a while, but I understood them now, and, like, things that I, like, kinks and things like that, mm-hmm. and even though I'm asexual, I still have those things. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So I got into more detail with her. Again, I was drunk, <laughs> but, like, I was explaining stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm like, but I still consider myself in the asexual spectrum, mm-hmm. because I'm not, that's not on the top of my list, sex mm-hmm. and, like, that type of thing. Um. I also thought something was wrong with me because I'm not a hugger or a cuddler. I like a lot of my space. Mm-hmm. And I dated this guy for about six months back when I was like 18. And he constantly want to hold my hand. And I was like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. And then he would get upset about it because he was like, I just want to hold your hand. I'm not trying to hug you or cuddle you. I'm like, yeah, but it's like, it feels like unnecessary, unneeded. Like you don't have to hold my hand while we're just walking mm-hmm. you can just walk next to me and i always felt like this is me being really cold to partners this is me being really mean mm-hmm. when they just want to show their simple affection but i'm like no there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with me this is who i am and i shouldn't have to give up that to like satisfy somebody else yeah this is a boundary i have mm-hmm. and i shouldn't have to get rid of my boundaries I need to find somebody who's willing to work within my boundaries as I am willing to work in their boundaries. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of things I don't like in rom-coms too, is that I'm like, oh, they give up everything to be with this person. Like, like it doesn't make sense in yeah. my brain. Like, does that actually happen? Is this real or is this just a movie? Cause this entire time I'm like, that's just a movie. It's just yeah, for a show, right? Like, yeah. I always think that too. Cause I'm like, all right, but you mentioned that you don't like this and now you're forcing yourself to do it yeah. all the time. Yeah. That's going to eventually create problems. That's how I I, started thinking like that. Oh, this is going to create problems down the line. But this is also just like the cute meat. Oh my gosh. That actually explains something. Okay. So my previous partner, when we first met, I made it pretty obvious. I'm like, I don't want kids. He wanted kids. And then conversations kind of changed throughout the course of the relationship. But ultimately, 
he was like, yeah, I don't want kids either. And I'm like, cool, we're on the same page. And after we broke up and all that jazz, like we had recently a conversation and basically he was like, yeah, no, I do want kids. I was like, so this entire time you were just saying you don't want kids because you wanted to be with me. I was like, do you realize how big of a problem that would have been? Yeah. Like there would have been some sort of resentment towards one or the other person, whether we had kids or not. And I was like, that's, that's kind of problematic. I, I wouldn't have, I would have wanted you to be honest with me. I was like, we're, we want two different things. Those are very important, different things yeah. that we want. So and yeah, this would mean like other partners on a lower, lower scale is that I don't want physical touch right mm-hmm. now, but like I, ha- I've met partners who are like, Oh, this is how I show my love is like, physical contact mm-hmm. i'm like then that would be very bad and eventually yeah. you would kind of be resentful thinking oh i just don't like you or anything because i don't want you touching me yeah like no i just don't not a fan of physical contact yeah it's very rarely that yeah. i do it even with my mom and she hugs me for a long period i'm like nope thank you <laughs> i was like you get this many seconds that's it yeah um see that's how i know that I like i don't know if it's demi-romantic or gray romantic one of those terms basically like it just takes me a hot minute yeah. To feel romantic feelings and stuff like that. So, like, initially for me, the hand-holding is weird. The physical contact is weird. It's not until – I also have walls up and stuff like that. So, I think it's also, like, until that kind of calms down and everything that I'm like, okay, physical touch is okay. This is okay. I want to hold your hand. I also don't – like, I get, like, the texting all the time. We're, like, talking to each other a lot. But I don't get the wanting to be around each other also, like, a lot. <laughs> Because I, I value my alone time yeah. quite a bit. And I, I enjoy that. I like just being alone and, you know, yeah. quiet in my tiny little apartment by myself. Yeah. And the need to, like, somebody's like, oh, yeah, I want to be with you all the time. Like, why, though? I'm not a fan of that either. I'm like, no, I want you to have your space. I want to have my space. Yeah. I'm like, we'll meet in the middle. But, like, there needs to be, like, some type of space. How do you feel about a living partner, but they've got two different bedrooms? I actually like that idea a lot. Me I know too. a lot of people are like, <laughs> oh, no, that's not how you're supposed to be with it. I'm like, I like the idea of having, like, my space and we're like, if there's a heated argument, I can just go to my room. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if I need just a moment to breathe. Because there was one time my mom was staying with me for a week mm-hmm. and I had a really bad day at work. Mm-hmm. And I came home. She's like, oh, hey. And I'm like, I need not to talk for 20 minutes. I need dead silence. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry if that sounds mean, but I'm like... I know you're only here for like a week, but I'm like, I need 20 minutes of just nothing. Yeah. And she was like, that's fine. She put on her headphones, was watching YouTube. I just like stretched out on my bed and I like basked in the silence. Yeah. And sometimes I need that to reset when it's an overwhelming day or there's too much stimulation. I need that silence of just being in quiet and empty for like a few minutes. And then I feel like I can be myself again. Yeah. So I like that idea of having two bedrooms for your partner. Okay. So then have you heard of the show Love is Blind? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Wait, is it the one on Netflix? It's the one on Netflix where basically they don't see each other. And yeah, I have seen seen parts of it. Okay, so that's one of the few shows that I watch that are like that. But I have a hard time taking it seriously in a sense because my brain is like, "Do you guys really love each other? You guys really fell in love like that?" And so, but it's it's entertaining, so that's why I watch it. But that's one of the things like it's like rom com to me, and like. I have a hard time believing it because I'm like, I have a hard time experiencing yeah. that as easily, but it's a guilty, like it's a guilty sh- pleasure show that I watch. <laughs> There's a British show. I should send it to you. It's hilarious. Cause when they reject the partner, they fall through a hole. Oh, 
it's like <laughs> trap door love or something like or tra- trapped in love it is it's star- the first time i ever saw it because i just saw that end scene yeah was so startling because they like just dropped through a hole yeah. on the floor and i was like that is some like he it's kind of humiliating to just be trapped doored after you've been rejected but at the same time I have never left harder at a dating show and I've never wanted to be like, who's getting going through the whole next? Oh shit. That it's sounds terrible, but it's so funny. That sounds like a good, you got to send it to me because that does sound like a fun you. show. Fun show. A, <laughs> I like him watching it. There was another show. Oh, I wanted to watch the, sh- the dating show where it was like they're back in time, like a period dating show. It was on ABC. Oh, I don't know. I thought that it was really cool. And it was like a Pride and Prejudice time period. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that dating style always looks cool to me. Yeah, but not the realities of what it would have been like. No, no, no. Yeah, that's a business <laughs> opportunity and like for land and stuff. But then also I was like, oh, they had the pretty gowns. But I think I never wa- I was like, I'm going to watch it because I really like that stuff. And then I was like, I never watched it. Yeah. I don't think it's coming back for a second season. I don't see. I didn't see anybody talking about it at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, Okay, I think we've been... Okay, we're definitely at over two hours. So, are there any last minute things, topics that you want to talk about or cover? Anything that you would like to share that you feel would help someone else? That's another thing to talk about. Mention? I don't know. I'm babbling. Hello. Well, I think <laughs> that's something to talk about, that it's okay to talk too much sometimes. When people think you're talking too much and you're revealing too much, it's okay too. Because then somebody may be able to take what you, your words and be like, hey, I'm not alone. Or, hey, I understand that struggle and it feels something because that's a lot of what I grew up with. Nobody mm-hmm. was talking about stuff. Nobody was going talking about their struggle and things. And it would have been nice to know somebody else in my family was dealing with the issues I was dealing with or something going on or one of my friends. Yeah. And that's why, honestly, I may reveal too much <laughs> because if just one person is just like, hey, yeah, I know what you're going through. Or, hey, yeah, I, I get that. And yeah. I understand, and it doesn't make me feel too alone anymore. Yeah. Then it's not a bad thing. It's okay to overtalk. Especially, like, being, like, raised as a woman in the Latin community. In the Latin community, in the church community, and things like that. A lot of the times, my voice was meant to be silenced. Mm -hmm. Being a woman of color, being a woman of color in the church, you know, and just, I was not having any of it. Mm -hmm. I was always asking questions and you know it's always good to ask questions too yeah um and i'm glad like with the help of medication with the help of therapy and with the support of the people i have around me now which i do love all my friends they're amazing people and the growth my mom and my sister have shown mm-hmm. i'm able to express exactly who i am and it is nice to finally feel comfortable in the skin i am in i love that for you that's awesome yay <laughs> okay so in true ADHD fashion, I did my fun facts, searched up by fun facts this morning. So I think I already talked about Durango because you said your dad's from there. Mm-hmm. So I looked up Tamaulipas. <laughs> so a little, I literally, I don't think I've ever actively realized that that was a state. I didn't either. And, I didn't think about it. And the fact that it's borders texas too like i didn't know that until this morning so i was like "Ooh, that's cool so yeah it borders texas which makes sense when you said that your mom was born in yeah, texas and stuff like that um so the main economy economic activity there is agriculture um in the state and then the city tampico i might have i think i 
feel like I missed a word or spelling. Anyways, Tampico or something like that. Um, it, it was um, the city grew around a monastery that was founded on the ruins of an Aztec village around 1532. It was destroyed by pirates in 1683 and then reoccupied in 1823. And then um, I know the pirates part got me. I was like, that's cool. What kind of pirates? I don't know. The pirates. And Matamoros, a little more about that, like, quote unquote, founded because it wasn't by quote unquote founded. I mean, like the Spanish and all that jazz founded it. Um, Did you find the dark history about it? No, because I only had like 30 minutes to look up this stuff earlier today. And the only thing that I got, well, the only dark history that I got besides, okay, founded, quote unquote, 1824. It was the scene of bitter fighting in the Mexican-American War was occupied by U.S. troops in 1846. Um, that's what I got. So probably have I had, if I didn't, if I spent more time on it, I probably would have found more dark history. What what dark history Back do you in, know? Like, the 1970s, there was a cult leader there. Oh. Um, who used to kidnap people. And actually they found like, I think about like 45 people buried on his property. Um, Wait. He used human sacrificing. What is his name? I, f- I forget the name. I think, okay, so I listen to a lot of true crime podcast. I think I know who that is. Yeah. He used to like to take uh, Americans because he liked how they screamed. I have heard of, wow, that's happened there? That happened there. Damn. During the time around my mom was uh, growing up. Well, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have heard of that. Now I'm going to, eventually sometime down the line, I'll probably remember and I think I have heard of that. Yeah, Damn, it happened the there. 1970s, 1960s. I feel like cult leaders were really big during that time frame. Everybody had a cult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then Matamoros, it's now one of Mexico's chief ports of entry for tourists and import export ex- import export of goods. Um, and then I tried to find some notable people from there. Good notable people. Have you heard of the band Intocable? No. Okay. Well, if you know them, you know them. If you don't, you don't. But I, they're a banda group, and I actually know who they are. So I was like, oh, shit, that's oh, really cool. So you got a, a banda group from That looks from pretty there. cool, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I only, unfortunately, know the darker stuff of that now. So, um, but that's cool to know that, that something yeah. good came out of it. Yeah, least. there was a whole bunch. Um, there's like a, I only got another name, Myra Flores. She's a politician, first Mexican-born American congressperson. There was a whole bunch of on there that were like... Um, a plant cell biologist. There was like other sciencey people, actresses and actors and stuff like that. There was a whole bunch of people, but I only that one was the only one that I was like, I think the only one that people might know. So I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, this I works. Know that. that's cool. Yeah, maybe. Did you ever listen to Banda growing up? Yeah, but I never really like focused. I'm not one for. Me. I like listening to music, but I'm never one to focus on bands or singers. Gotcha. Now I used to be in like high school. But, like, now I'm still back to where, like, hey, I really like this song and this song. Yeah. And then I find out I actually have a bunch of songs from this, like, particular artist or band. And I'm like, oh, I guess I like them. Okay. I'm going to play a little snippet. Okay. I think it's one of their more famous popular songs. I don't think I've ever heard them. Okay. My parents used to – we used to spend Saturdays. My mom would always play Mexican music or stuff like that. So, like, this is why I know them. like, the old school Mexican, like – the ones that were like the love songs that were just like blaring really loudly. Do you know yeah. any of the names of the artists? Not anymore. Mm. It's been so long. Okay. Because I grew up on like Los Tigres del Norte. Um, 
Valentina Elizalde, Marc Antonio Solis. Occasionally, Manal, my mom would play it here and there, but not too much. Yeah, it was, was mostly banda. Never good at like remembering band names or artists, but like you play a song, oh like oh yeah, I knew that one. They're like yeah. oh yeah, it's from like a really popular artist. I'm like oh I couldn't tell you. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't tell you. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Well, holy shit! Like I said, this is the last episode. Oh my god. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, the season finale. Season on oh, the season finale. Um, did you talk about? Is there anything else that you wanted to mention about your podcast? Um, well, right now we're on a break too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're called the First Ones to Die. I do it with two other people of color, two mm-hmm. black men, Jonathan and Jerome. Wait, can you tell me? Can you tell them the story about how the original name was, or how it came about? Like, because we're originally going to call it like. Was it so, so? We were originally called <laughs> behind the Usher station because we all worked at the Pacific Science Center at the IMAX as ushers. I left that job and they were still working there, and so that's still what we became because we had a lot of stupid arguments mm-hmm. about movies and things like that being stuck in a basement basically yeah. for eight hours a day. And so we're like, let's make this a podcast, and we would do strictly reviews. Yeah, eventually, we're like, none of us are working there, and we should try to come up with something new. Mm-hmm. And one of our friends, I, I think Jonathan, I want to say it was, was like, oh, we should call ourselves two, two, black, two black men and a Mexican. And I just started laughing. I'm like, that sounds like a porn. <laughs> that sounds like such a porn name. And like after they sat, I think they sat on it for a second. They're like, oh my God, yeah, it does. And we're like, okay, so we're not going with that name. Yeah. Uh, and then we kept trying to figure out like, what do we want to call ourselves? Mm-hmm. What do we want to be? And we started actually looking at tropes mm-hmm. in movies. And then I believe it was Jerome was like, hey, why don't we call ourselves the first ones to die? Because, you know, people of color always die. The yeah. film. I was like, I like it because it has like a horror based thing. Yeah. Like, it's thing on horror films. Yeah. And we all fell into that. And we're like, yeah, actually, we like this. And we play this game sometimes where we're like, oh, would we have been the first ones to die at the yeah. beginning of films? When we spy, when we watch like horror films and stuff and be like, oh, they survived. Hey, we didn't die at the beginning of this yeah. film. All right. One of our own did it. Wasn't it the... um. Review of uh, bodies, bodies, bodies. Wouldn't didn't you guys talk about that? Yeah, we were very proud that uh, there was only one. No, there was two black women in there, and one of the black women did survive at the end. Yeah, but it was the white guy who died first. I was like, hey, <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, that's a that's a big moment for us. Yeah, yeah. The white guy died first. The <laughs> stupid white guy died first because the stupid yeah. white guy always tends to survive pretty far by like pure coincidence. Yeah. And I was like, hey, he died first. And this feels like a big step for us. Yeah. Um, so we'll make jokes like that and see that. And then we do reviews. Other times we do do personal topics. Mm-hmm. Like we have what we call our magic jar, which has like random recommendations or like, hey, well, this is going to get to a personal episode. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, we can do that. Um, we talk about a lot about when we're watching for representation in films and things yeah. like that. And being like, I'll make jokes about how like there's only one black person in the film but i'm like hey at least you guys got one <laughs> i'm like <laughs> they'll try to say um uh, i think it was with um don't worry darling they had one black female you know what i film. haven't watched that movie and i don't think it's that okay i want to. to wait for streaming okay if, you, if you're like i want to watch it's okay to wait for it to stream i don't think that i'm gonna pay for it yeah i don't think yeah. i'm going to pay for it um 
And I was like, yeah, there's like no Latin people. And Jonathan found a couple. Mm-hmm. They were a model and I think like a servant or something. I was like, we're in the film. Just instill those roles. I was like, Stereotypes. Okay, that, didn't, that didn't help the case at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a, I like Chris Pine. Yes, he's very pretty. He's a very pretty man. Oh, wait, you, yeah, you like him. I love him. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Jonathan and Jerome picked that up very quickly. And Jonathan was like, trying to pull out one of my kinks and being like, dude, dude, like, my mom yeah. listens to this fight. Like, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> like, remember who listen. our parents listen to this. Yeah. Which is nice that they do, but at the same time, it's like, hey, you maybe tell like, reel really it in. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he looks good with like graying hair. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Good, yeah. Um, so I watched it for him, even though he wasn't in the film enough, I feel like. But there was just a lot of like issues with that film in general. And yeah, we'll point that out and be like, hey, yeah, we don't see any people of color. The people of color that are in this film, they're like one basic role. And it's like. Uh, I don't want this to end because it's the last one. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Well, um, do you have any shout outs or social medias that you would like to share? Yes. Uh, well, you can follow my podcast at The First One to Die on Instagram, Twitter, and on TikTok. I mainly control the TikTok account, so you will see little clips of the show as well as me doing random stuff because left to my own accord, I get bored. <laughs> um, and then you can follow me on Instagram and on TikTok at Alex and Nobody. And I came up with that one ironically after we had a mental health episode. Oh, really? I had changed that handle, yeah. which we had Kyle Moore, mm-hmm. which you can follow him. He does mental health podcast um i forget what it's called now that's probably bad (laughs) but uh you can find him at kyle moore on instagram and uh i had just recently changed it and i was like this is probably not the best one to shout out but i was like oh yeah and i'm alex and nobody on instagram as our new mental health episode came out and i was like my bad which i actually think is a little funny that it's alex and nobody because mine is like who the hell is monica (laughs) So clearly there's a question of identity going on there that's common in Latin people. Just a little bit. Uh, I just thought it was funny because everybody has like, at the time a lot of people were changing your Instagram handle Mm -hmm. around me were like, oh, Mrs. Blah, blah, blah. Or like, oh, me and like my child or Mm -hmm. things like that. I'm like, hey, it's Alex and nobody because that's just me. And then your cat. Cheddar, yes. Well, Cheddar's, I got him last year. Yeah. He's a fat orange cat, lovely Mm -hmm. guy. He has helped a lot with my mental health too. Because I had lost my, I like to tell this story about my cat Snowbell. Mm-hmm. I had her from nine years old. We got her off a farm, off a off, out of a box in an Indiana farm. Wow. Yeah, one of the church women was like, "This one's going to be a strong one." So my mom was like, "Okay," and I originally didn't want her. Yeah. But it's the ones that are like, uh, that are like, I don't want you. And yeah. The cat's like, "Okay, you're my human now." Yeah. Uh, and then she moved all, everywhere with me for 21 years. She was my closest companion. And it was actually in 2020 when everything was happening. I asked her, I was like, hey, don't leave me in 2020. I could tell she was getting old and frail. And I was like, things are so horrible and so bad. I can't lose mm-hmm. you in 2020. I can't have this mm-hmm. be another thing. And it's almost like she was like, all right, but in January 1st, 2021, uh, at three in the morning, I took her to the vet, and at seven o'clock, I at seven p.m. Uh, we put her down. So she waited till January first, twenty twenty one. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> well, it was exactly like her. She had walked me through, you know, almost everything, every moment in my life, and it was 
it hit hard because there were moments where I was like, I've never done this alone yeah. without her. Um, I had gotten a new job and it was like the first time she wasn't around for it. Yeah. I had done this and I was like, oh, I never realized how much she was a part of my life. It 21 years. Mm-hmm. That's most of your life. Mm-hmm. She was through the 10s and the 20s and right before I hit 30, she was like, all right, you're good. I think I've taken care of you enough. And um, I'm very grateful to her. She's been my best companion through so many things and mm-hmm. I miss her little attitude face and that's actually one of the reasons I got Cheddar because I had seen other cats and I was like oh it might be nice and then I just couldn't connect with any of mm-hmm. them and then I saw Cheddar and he had just the smuggest look you could see on a cat I was like that would do her proud her face was so expressive so mm-hmm. so much personality in her yeah because after 21 years I was like this smug look I was like this cat has personality. I like it. And he does. He's kind of dumb. I learned, I learned <laughs> orange cats aren't the brightest cats. They're usually the sweetest, though. They, they are the sweetest. so sweet. Oh, he loves tummy rubs and he'll cuddle up to me all the time. But I had to message a friend who I know has an orange cat. And I was like, is this, does Wedge do this all the time? And she's like, oh, yeah, that's just an orange cat thing. I was like, okay, all right. And he likes to just flop on his back with his little paws up in the air. I'm like, am I supposed to touch your belly? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? He just sits there like, all right, this is the position I'm going to be in. And yeah. I'm like, all right, you know, I'll go sit down. And he's just like looking at me. Yeah. Like his head is curled. Like I'm, yeah. he's expecting me to do something. Yeah. And I'm like, but it's like a little trap too. Cause like I touch the belly, he'll attack me, but he'll just like lay on his back and look at me from like his yeah. chubbiness and be, I was like, I'm not falling for your trap. I'm going <laughs> to eat my dinner. Damn. Um. So this will be in the episode releasing tomorrow. This information will be out there, but basically my dog got attacked by a dog and I almost lost her in a sense because of how close of a call and how like desperately this dog wanted to injure my dog. And so like I'm extra sensitive to losses and, and stuff like that um, because like it's kind of cute seeing my dog hop around with one yeah. what like one of her legs because her, her bandage, her splint came off. And so um, uh, she actually has a little bit of hardware showing um, because the skin – it's basically like right by her ankle and so like mm-hmm. um because she's so small and because of the skin that was there like some of the hardware is showing and so we're like kind of keeping an eye on to see how that goes um but yeah no i almost lost her i, I almost that. lost her so i'm just like oh shit and i've been with her for 12 years so like i 21 years yeah the first, she had to have surgery on her tooth i think back when she was like 19 and they were worried because she was like only four pounds and oh wow like, she's so old she's 18 years old we don't know if she'll be fine after surgery yeah. but it was something she had a crack too so she had to get it done yeah uh i brought her in and i think she was still coming out of anesthesia and they're like oh you can pick her up she's trying to leave and i'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like she keeps saying we keep trying to make her lie down but she keeps trying to stand up and then attacking everybody who comes to the cage um at the time before we knew how bad it was, she was declawed. Mm-hmm. Um, and she learned how to hit really hard, though. And mm-hmm. the first time I ever took her to the vet out here, uh, she gave a, a vet tech a bruise. Not surprised. Hit her right by the face. And now even I was like, yeah, my cat, who was like 19 at the time, four pounds, uh, was labeled ec- needed extra hands in her chart. I'm like, oh, yeah. And two weeks before she passed, she was trying to fight my mom's cat. So I was like, she went down swinging. She was going hard. She was always going to go hard. Um, 
one of the things that always broke my heart when I learned about people who like had pets pass and things like that was that when pets pass, they look for their owners and the owners don't have enough strength to be in the room. That always broke my heart. So when she passed, I was like right in front of her making eye contact. Cause I was like, you've done so much for me for 21 years. I'm not going to. As honestly. Okay. Shit. Like I said, I don't want to, I want to want this to end. And I feel <laughs> like there's uh, a lot to mention here. So again, um, if this is your first time listening, hello, I'm a vet tech. So I, yeah. I see this happen all the time. Um, I understand why someone cannot be in the room. And I, I hope that you never have to go through this, but if you ever do be there for your pet, because we really can notice a difference. I mean, unless they're like, um, they're unfortunately to a point where like, they're not aware or conscious enough. That's a little bit differently. Um, But it really does. I can see how it means a lot to the animal to have their owner, their present. And um, if they're not present, then myself and everyone else will do their best to give this animal love in in its last moments. Because I'm like, just because your owner can't be here doesn't mean that you, you still can't get love from us and, and stuff like that. So just know that if you're ever in that situation, the people that are there care and love your animals just as much and will give them any love that they can. Oh, yeah, the vet I used to take her to, um, I could tell how much they loved her because she was so old and spicy. And they were always adored when she came in. They're like, hey, here's the feisty cat that's like yeah. four pounds and 20 years old, ready to fight everybody yeah. who came near her. Um, and yeah, I had heard those stories and I was like, I don't want in the end for her to be looking for me. Mm-hmm. And she went out with an angry look on her face too. <laughs> she looked pissed like, all right, t- you you said you were going to let, because I made a dead deal with her. And I was like, after 2020, when you're ready to go, I'll let you go. Mm-hmm. I won't hold you back. And I kept true to that word. And she mm-hmm. kind of gave me this look like, all right, yeah, <laughs> it's time to go. And like, um, yeah. Oh, damn. Okay. I think this is time. Um, again, my name is Monica. I am, this is the last episode of, of the first season, whether this is the first episode you're listening to, or you've been through this to the beginning. Thank you for listening. Holy shit. The audio quality. I'm sorry. Um, I am still learning and growing on how to do this podcast. Um, I'm going to try to make it better for the next season, which I'm to be determined when the hell that's going to start. But I, my goal is to continue doing this, continue meeting other people, um, having coffees together, talking about life experiences, and just growing from there. And if there's anything specifically that people want to listen to, I'm open. I'm all ears because I am – this is my podcast, but it's also your podcast, your podcast, and your podcast because I literally cannot be here without the person sitting in front of me. Um, I also can't stand to listen to myself talk all that much. So it I'd rather have someone. <laughs> I'd rather have someone else do like at least half the talking because it makes makes it easier. I've had people be like, I can't, I haven't listened to my episode yet. And I'm like, girl, the one that I did with you guys, I have like five minutes left. Cannot finish it. I cannot finish it. And it took me, I think, two, really? three times. Because I don't know. It's just something it's different i don't know have have you back again so you can uh, do another episode i would be down for that i will not be as nervous and i would be a lot more and just keep in mind you're free to always interrupt us because we just go (laughs) as you heard from the last one the black adam episode review when me it's just me and jerome yeah we are left unattended you guys are 
Yeah. <laughs> I think the amount of times I yelled the word wizard in that episode was a weird amount. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the hardest thing was like, honestly, you guys like interrupt each other so well back and forth that it was hard for me to be like, where can I interrupt? There's no like Anywhere, good. Sp- just go for it. Yeah. But it just feels rude. It's not rude with us. I know. You have to. <laughs> you will not shut up. And that's the I'll whole just thing. have like a sign with me. I'm like, I'll just raise on my hand and be like, hello. I wish to say something. Whatever is a good point. Hello. Okay. Hi. <laughs> um, alrighty. Well, again, I'm just postponing the inevitable. This is the last episode of the season, but it is not the last episode. So again, thank you so much for listening. Um, I look forward to whatever this podcast comes bringing comes my way. I'm, I am manifesting that good things will come for this. I'm, I'm manifesting that other people will listen to this and relate to it one way or another. Um, that's honestly like the biggest hope that I can have for with this podcast. That is that at some point you related to someone and it made you feel a little, a little less alone because ultimately that was kind of my biggest thing with this podcast is like, you're not alone in this world. You and I want to show, be. and you don't have to be, you're not alone. You never were. And there's other people out there that understand you or are willing to understand you. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. And until next time.